find a wheel And it goes round, round, round As it skims along With the happy sound As it goes along the ground, ground, ground Till it leads you to the one you love Then your love will hold you round, round, round In your heart's a song With a brand new sound And your head Go spinning round, round, round Cause you found what you've been dreaming of In the night you see the oval moon Going round and round in two And the ball of sun in the day Makes a girl and boy wanna say Find the ring And put it round, round, round And with ties so strong The two hearts are bound Put it on The one you found, found, found For you know that this is really love Find a weed And it goes round, round, round As it skims along With a happy sound as it goes Along the ground, ground, ground Till it leads you to the one you love Then your love You hold around, round, round In your heart's a song With a brand new sound And your head Go spinning round, round, round Cause you found what you've been dreaming of In the night you see the oval moon Going round and round in two And the ball of sun in the day Makes a girl and boy wanna say Find the ring and put it round, round, round And with ties so strong Your two hearts are bound, put it on The one you found, found, found For you know that this is really love Find the ring, put it on For you know that this is really love Really love, really love And hello everybody, it is Saturday night, September the 9th, year 2017 And hello, John Walden, you gotta stop this romantic crap, it's hurricane <laughs> theme stuff that's right. I did. Come up I with did. Hurricane. I don't. Come up with, they called the wind Mariah. Or, I don't. Or something like that. Give me some titles. Give me some titles. Yeah, you can't think of some, this Perry, Perry Como garbage. This is hurricane <laughs> stuff. Give me some songs. Give me. Sing me a verse. It's the only one I can think of so far. I got to think about this. Um. They called the wind Mariah. That's not bad. No, it's not really hurricane, uh, but it's wind. Let me think. Uh, what's the one that Sinatra had? Um. Chicago, my tiny town. <laughs> that's well, fire related. That's fire related. Yeah, that's about Mrs. O'Leary and the and the, and the cow. Uh, you know, I'm trying to think about hurricane songs. There, I don't know if there are that I many. I don't think there is. Huh? Okay, well that one works, doesn't it? But we do have radio shows. Oh no, we got radio shows. We have a few. There might be more. That might be Tricia. Hold on. Was she going to call in? No, I think she called him on her cell phone to say she was ready to say a few words from the wind-ravaged Fort Myers area. 
It's 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 the World War Two version of Corregidor. All right, we're gonna go get the lady. You know, you, there's nothing Better going get on her now. She's gonna be busy tomorrow. There's nothing going on right Welcome now. I mean, that's not windy. Maybe a little rain. Patricia but all the big stuff's James happening Taylor tomorrow. You should be able to get a full night's sleep tonight. Sammy's especially Patricia after a couple of beers. <laughs> <laughs> like they served beer where she Patricia is. No, maybe not. Okay, <laughs> I'm here. Hello so, there, Patricia. So have they passed out beer to all the patients yet? Oh, indeed. I've got the whole place to myself. Which floor are you on? Oh, it's still the second floor. Well, it might be the fourth by tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah, we don't have a fourth floor, and I, I can't. Swim. You will tomorrow. I guess. <laughs> you know, the whole thing might be lifted, but um, the the projections are fairly typical, except they're on steroids. Um, yes. So you know, it, I mean, I can't change the weather, so I will just no. here. Yeah. And, and it's, it, is it still bending your way? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Yep, yeah, she's going to so, get nailed tomorrow, I think. Yeah, we, exactly. We're going to yeah. get clobbered. There's still, you know, nobody has mentioned the speed of a hurricane influences how much rain you get because the slower the the hurricane moves, the longer it's going to stay over pieces of land and Correct. just get that much more rain. Like Houston. Had, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It moves in and then just doesn't go home. It's like the unwanted guest. <laughs> so, anyway, for tonight, I am doing well, and I am reading a book. And if you're really, really nice, I'll tell you what it is. Did I hear the phone ring? You sure did. Yeah, you, did. you sure did. Let me, uh, let me, let me uh, do before we do that. Let's just do a quick update. So, Patricia, you had yes. sort of an interesting twelve hours or eighteen hours, right? You were gonna go or stay or. Yeah, well, they they had us pack up to go, but it turned out that the places they had chosen for us to go were going to be in worse shape than we are. So yep. we're yeah, we're we're actually pretty good here, and um, the only inconvenience will be when it really heats up and we get some really strong winds that uh, we have to go out in the hall. So I will ask for a mattress on the floor and let somebody else pick me up when it's time to go back to my room. <laughs> yeah. You might not have to worry about trying to get up off the floor. Yes, I know. You might have what? some help. Don't oh, they have I underground have uh, facilities in those buildings? Underground? No, no, no. Because well, I thought that's where they, they sent you underground as much to get away from the, from the oh. wind and the rain. Well, they, they would have except the wind and the rain up there and the potential for a hit in Sarasota and Manatee counties would really be worse than we're contending with here. So everything will be fine. They want us to sit in the hall because, of course, every room has a glass window. Sure. And that's the last thing they, they want to have. But all in all, it's okay. We've got Anderson Cooper from CNN down in the middle of downtown Fort Myers. <laughs> it's really nice, and he's broadcasting... And he's broadcasting from there, so I feel very important. And that's exactly where he belongs. <gasps> oh, oh, oh. Anderson? <laughs> Anderson Cooper needs to be Anderson right there in, in the middle of everything. He'll probably oh. be doing fake news because he's with CNN. <laughs> right. <laughs> My Uncle Jim. We have a lot of friends in, these, in the St. Pete uh, 
uh, area from Freedom Scientific in, in terms of the people who make our screen reader. And they all live Tampa Bay area and other parts in and around that area. And that's kind of where the storm is heading. Yes. My... Go ahead, Patricia. Nibbling up the coast, and the, the question is how how close to the cities will it get? Right. Um, and actually, with the with the spin from it and the size of the eye, it's enormous. Uh, it probably doesn't matter where the center goes. Because no. There's so many squalls and rain bands associated with it. It's going to be days before we get rid of it. I mean, it just boggles my mind that, that they told us a couple of days ago that this storm is bigger than the entire state of florida it's bigger than the entire state of texas that's right the, the state of texas my uh, my Bill and kim i'm sorry but <laughs> we got it this week <laughs> big time my we uncle my yes. uncle my uncle jim and aunt kill live in tampa and so of course we've been monitoring their situation we talked to my aunt kill the night they were on where to go where to stay and the way it works in tampa they they have Cordon Tampa off in four zones, and A, B, C, and D, and they're in D. Yeah, I heard about that. They're in D, so they figured mm-hmm. that they're not going to be the first one to have to go through mandatory evacuation. Yeah. So they have that to a degree here, but because the lay of the land is so fickle, we've got a community called Island Park that flooded really flooded when we had the flood a couple of weeks ago when everybody mm-hmm. had to move off the first floor because it was underwater including my shoes <laughs> so, what happened on I, that what ha- what the story we haven't talked to him do you had the little flood oh, two weeks ago yeah it was two weeks ago yeah okay well it, it was a huge I, I don't want to say huge it was just constant rain and for about three days and the um, the ground was just saturated, and it couldn't keep any more. And the canal next door to us um, couldn't take any more, and it started backing up. And the parking lot got wetter and wetter and wetter. <laughs> and eventually, they had to open. It, it, we we got some floodwaters inside, and eventually they had to open the sliding doors in the front in order to keep the pressure down on the the windows. So the, the first floor had about a foot of water, which is pretty substantial when you're talking about a facility that's in the higher end. Um, they're telling everybody that west, 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 yeah, west of, of Route 41 mm-hmm. is to be cautioned and evacuated on notice, immediately on notice. I, my facility is on Route 41, so I don't know. I don't know where we lie, but um, it's interesting. And then, you know, um, Tom from New York sent an email and said, "Are you anxious?" And no, I can't do anything about the weather. And I've got my book, and they've got a generator, so I'll always have light to read it. Yeah. So now, what? All right. Hello, caller. You are on with Patricia, John, and Larry. Hello, John, Larry, Walden, and Patricia. Hi, Paul. How are you? What? Hi, Paul. Uh, hi. What a nice surprise. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I am, too. I thought I'd be out the door. <laughs> Man. Doing fine. I um, was thinking about how nice it would be to bring my canoe down there and help 
uh, evacuate people like in Katrina, but I would need evacuating myself. <laughs> yeah, to know, get a grip, get a grip. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but my I goodness. Thought, oh, my um, goodness. Maybe so, Larry and John, uh, did, did, well, of course, Larry uh, sent a carbon copy or a copy of his email to me that I am always looking for ways to play hooky, and now I've got a really good one with a hurricane. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah. And that's, yeah. And that's true. That's so true. it might be a good idea if FEMA would um, drop by air a bunch of those inflatable mattresses, and if you guys need to leave or if you want to just go on a tour, you can uh, tie them up end to end and uh, just have somebody with power um, pull you along like a train. That's an interesting okay. thought. We'll, we'll take that under advisement. I, I know <laughs> I know the L.A. Fire Department has 70 people that went down to Houston, and Thursday night they decided to go to Alabama to, to, to figure and get ready to help Florida out. So FEMA's already in motion to get ready to help out. So Yeah. So... Oh. You know, I They've been very good. Their response has been excellent, and they're all fired up for, you know, following which communities in Florida need the most help, and that's, I, I think that's just admirable. I'm really pleased. You know how they did, lined up like that. you know how did they hmm. do 12 years ago, Patricia, when Charlie hit? Did, did FEMA do a good job back and then? And Andrew as well. Did they, they do did it? a terrible job. Ah. Yeah. They did a terrible, and most of it was Katrina. Okay. Um, they they did a terrible job with Katrina. They set people up in in temporary housing, and moved in oh acres of mobile homes, and never helped the people get out. And the mobile homes were late getting there. Nobody monitored them, so you know you could walk away with one of their trailers, and nobody would know. Mm. So, no, they're they're really doing well this time. And Charlie, I don't know about Charlie. Um, FEMA would have come in in um, the recovery that so many of the people were eligible for recovery. Um, and one one of the areas was the top corner of my county. It was the top corner of Lee County. And um, so that, you know, there, there were some businesses, really big businesses that were flattened, just flattened. And everybody went in and rolled up their sleeves and restarted their businesses. It took them quite a while and a lot of money. So that's why I say um, FEMA probably played a great role in helping them get back on their feet after Charlie. But Charlie was a different storm. And well, it certainly wasn't like this. <laughs> well, thank you, you Paul. Know, I, feel terrible. I feel terrible that I haven't been on top of this at all. Um, when did this start? Three weeks ago, or well, Houston. Oh, Houston. I'm thinking about Houston was what maybe two weeks ago started to build up maybe, and then at least, and then yeah. and then uh, Florida. They've been thinking about it for the last five days or, so. or so. Yeah. Yeah. Houston was two weeks ago. Tomorrow, because that's when I was supposed to go, and I'm going to San Antonio tomorrow. Right. Mm-hmm. But but you know. There's still water in Houston, but all the the bad stuff in terms of the hurricane is gone. But as bad as Harvey was, and it was bad, it's not even close to what Irma 
has become. Okay. And we still oh, don't know about the one there... that's traveling behind Irma, Jose. Yeah, that's Jose. I checked the wonderground.com, and it looks like they're predicting that it's going to veer very slowly off our shore and into the Atlantic. So I'm not really concerned about that. Um, but you're right with with what's coming. And, it, you know, they, they, they said just before I came upstairs to call all of you, they said it's 90 miles from Key West. We've been here in Key West for two days. You yeah. Know? And that's, that's why I said there has been no mention of the speed of a hurricane. I remember hurricanes going, moving much more quickly, like 14 miles an hour, 17 miles an hour. And this one is stuck at 10 to 11 miles an hour consistently. So, you know, everybody is sitting sure. with, their, with their feet crossed and wondering how fast it was going to reach them. So sure. I'm wondering how, fa- how fast it's going to reach <laughs> us. We're supposed to be um, battling big rainstorms tomorrow evening. So I guess that'll be the first time. That's what my aunt Kill was saying, yeah. Are these several... Yeah. Are these several um, hurricanes? They think maybe who, three. Who am I listening to? That's Paul. Who am I listening to? That's Paul. I can barely hear Paul, hear Paul yeah. for some reason. Yeah, he's on his phone, iPhone. Um, yeah, they got, they got three, Paul, back to back to back. Okay. So that's what they got. Well, they, we don't know that they have three back we to don't. back to back yet. We don't. We know about the one. The other two... Could, you know, anything could happen. One's going mm-hmm. off into the Atlantic, and I don't know where the one starting with K is is going. I know it's a hurricane, but I don't know yet where it's where it's going to be going. Well, thank you, Paul. Sorry. We're gonna let somebody else get. I know Patricia's sure. gonna go upstairs somewhere in a little while, but we're gonna let people get a chance to talk to her. So, thank you, Paul. Um, yes, I'm thank you, Paul. Right. Glad that you're okay, Patricia. Thank, thank you. you. Bye bye. You bet. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. This is Stormwatch, hosted by the blind people. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. I got Dave King got a, a chuckle out of that when he just called. Yeah, people. we've we've got radio shows to observe hurricanes by, <laughs> and that's the theme. Oh, They're all hurricane oriented. Okay. Yeah, we we this is really good. Oh, I have to tell you, the area university it used to be a community college, mm-hmm. and it it passed all its rules and regulations, and it's a, a university now. And they have opened, I don't know which building, but they've opened one of their buildings exclusively for people with special needs, which I think is. Fabulous, absolutely wonderful. They've got 2,700 nurses who responded to the request that anyone who can come in, you know, with with a medical background and nurses in particular, would they please report to their local shelters? And they've got 27 nurses mobilized. I mean, it's just incredible. So, there? so hmm? somebody asked me earlier today, and I guessed, but I don't know for sure. They said when somebody is in a facility who currently is having rehabilitation issues or whatever, mm-hmm. and that all of a sudden Florida says, all right, everybody out of the pool, time to evacuate. 
how do those people get to where they need to go, whether it be a shelter or somewhere else? Yeah, they had transportation buses, uh, uh, transportation, including transportation for people with special needs and, uh, you know, thoroughly disabled who were on oxygen, for example. I think that's what you're talking about. So they had transportation set up um, in most communities until 6 o'clock. One community ended at 3 o'clock, and one traveled with people to shelters uh, until 10 o'clock with the county transportation system. So they, they had good coverage for people with special needs. Hello there, Carl. You're on with Patricia, John, and Larry. I thought it was Miss Monitor. <laughs> you thought it was what? I thought it was Miss Monitor. Oh, yeah. During the forecast. And, <laughs> yes, yes, and it's 72 degrees in Fort Myers with clear skies and sunny, sunny day tomorrow, which is... Sunday. Why not? Would it be a sunny day for Sunday? Hello, I know who you are. Hello, I know who you are too. I thought you'd moved. Well, Dan, she hasn't. No, no. When when they came through yesterday or Friday, I guess they packed up what we would have needed if we were evacuated. Uh, you know, two of everything: two shirts, two pants, two. You know, I had to. <laughs> I had to make do in a couple of them because the laundry has consistently lost my clothes. So, um, but no, uh, we, were, we were on standby for evacuation, and then it didn't come about, and I saw the administrator today, and she said, no, we're not evacuating. I wish they had the common sense to go room to room and tell people that we're not evacuating. But anyway. Yeah, it would be nice. Yeah. They're saying, all right, now, are you, in, are you in zone A, B, or C, or do you know anything about the zones? I have no idea where I am. Not a clue. Okay. I'm, okay. I'm on the third floor on the telephone. You're on the third floor on the telephone, okay, because... And when I hang it, up, I'll go back home onto the second floor. Okay. Because they say there's a good chance of 15-foot surge coming in. Probably Monday. Correct. Yes, and it's moving. It's moving west northwest at nine. Uh, no, I'm sorry, seven miles an hour right now. Not north northwest. No, it's a west northwest. It's moving more west right. than north. How about that? And it's night. Well, they said that's not good news for us. I don't. I can't remember why, but that would not be good news yeah. for us. They say it's already starting to hit the keys. Oh, uh, the last I heard was just before I, I came upstairs. CNN said 90 miles from Key West. Mm-hmm. Or maybe yeah, it was 90 minutes. 90 minutes from key, from key West. Yeah, my phone said about five day. minutes ago it's hit the keys. Oh, well, there's somebody Gordon. there, and, and I haven't heard anything about him recently. It's the curator of the Hemingway Museum on Key West. And he told the uh-huh. including the news, uh, the news people, that he was staying along with eleven of his employees. Oh boy! Do they get? I, do I they? Don't know where to send the remains if they can even be found. Do, yeah. Do they get I mean, over? That just scares me to think that anybody would even decide to do that. Do they get overtime? 
Do they get overtime? The 11 employees for crying out loud? It doesn't matter. Boy, oh boy, I don't know. They better count their minutes. <laughs> I'm just, you know, I don't mean to make just situation, but I mean to to look at a storm like this and have someone experienced in the Keys when hurricanes have swept in. It just boggles me. Because okay. they were having mandatory evacuation, what, Friday night or something for 25,000 oh, yeah. people. You know. Oh, sure. Uh, you know, Route 1, out of the Keys, which is a, a two-lane highway for most places, and that makes it a little bit hmm, difficult. But the, the highway, Highway 1, US 1, is wide open because everybody evacuated already. So this person has very little opportunity to get out because he's clearly experiencing the rain bands and the squalls. But to, to make a choice to stay in something like this, and he said, oh, yes, and we have a vet for the cats, you know, Hemingway's cats, the six-toed cats. Um, you know, he, he had water and food and a generator. And <laughs> I thought, right, who's going to bring the water up to the third floor? <laughs> Just, honest to goodness. So that's my story. That's my well, with a storm that stretches 500 miles from end to end, I mean, that's a lot of uh, storm, a lot of rain to go through, a lot of wind and everything. So. Bigger than the state of Texas, Kim and Bill. And Bill are you listening? <laughs> now, it won't be long or we might not be here. Now, what does that actually mean? It, it, it means the water is warm. Is that what generates the energy for... That's, yes, that, that helped uh, increase the power of the storm. And then it bounced over the islands. There are a couple of islands that are just flat. They, they look like low-level construction landfill. It, it's just devastated they were categorized by somebody the governor as rubble well that's that's a good word it's it's horrible to think about when you think of what they were you know a week ago and where are the people yeah oh long gone where where did they hide you know they keep telling people hide in or or find a shelter and i look at this and the florida university the state university um, is close to the river, which is going to get a really strong surge. So, I don't know. I don't know. I just live here. That's why I wanted you to wear the inner tube. Pardon? Oh, my inner tube. Yes. No, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. Not only don't I swim, but you're going to send me up to Louisiana where they have alligators. I don't think so. I mean, we have alligators, but I can stay away from them. If you're floating on an inner tube, you can't stay away from them. Never mind the sharks. So thanks anyway. Well, well I- just just imagine what Florida's going to look like once the storm goes with all everything that's going to come out of the swamps. Why would they come out of the swamps? Oh, well, the wind is going to take them out of the swamps. Oh. I mean, it's just hideous to think about. Did anybody let them know? Well, I doubt that they got invitations. No, no one sent out formal invitations. Have, have no, you, have you, having... come as you are. Yes. You know. Have you worked yeah. on, have you worked on your bull moose cry yet, Patricia? Oh, Did... this is a good time. Yes, you want to, 
you're out of. I want to hear the alligator sounds. You want, we want you to give your alligator grunt. Yeah. No, just close the door so nobody can get at you once they hear it. I'm in the hallway. <laughs> There's an alcove at the end of the hallway, and the vending machines are here, and the phone is here, and stuff like that there. So, no, it, oh. it would be unkind. Okay. So okay, Walden, when did she do it? Do I have a record of it somewhere? We do, she's never done it as a recording. Never, uh, never on the air. Never on the air. She, we talked about it. So eventually, when Patricia gets to quarters that she can let out the cry of a bull moose, of a bull alligator, maybe we can <laughs> have her do it. Right, Patricia? Yes. Okay. Yes. That I learned the day I answered when I was in a nature preserve. Not a, not a nature, it, it was a preserve area. Quite large, and everything in there was protected, and probably everything outside of it as well. And I heard an alligator way in the distance, so I started grunting back at him and imitating him. And he grunted really loud, and I grunted back really loud. And then I found out that bull alligators, not the females, but the bull alligators are the only ones that grunt. And they grunt during mating season, and they follow the grunts to make sure that they oppose any intruder <laughs> in their territory. So I haven't grunted in the nature preserves <laughs> recently. Uh, it's the wetlands in there. Uh, so I haven't done that. You would be um, really a, receive a remarkable gift from me if I did that. <laughs> I don't do it outside anymore. At this rate, she'll put Marlon Parkins to shame. Oh, this, well, not quite. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, I think that's a great idea. We can get Mutual of Omaha to be the sponsor of Patricia's <laughs> Grunt. Now, while Jim is wrestling, <laughs> <laughs> poor, poor Jim. Oh, poor Jim. He really bought the farm with that one, didn't he? Uh, he died, didn't he? I know Marvin Perkins did. Did yeah. Jim, yeah. whatever his last name is, did he? Bauer? Did he leave us? Bauer? Yeah. Bauer? Yes. Jim oh, Bauer? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I'll have to, have to look up and see if he's still with us. I won't do a James Garner on him. Oh, my gosh. I was so embarrassed that night. I was saying, find James Garner for me. And the poor man has been dead for a couple of years. It happens. I'm really good at goofing. All right. Dan Am I alone? No. Daniel, anything else before we let you, we let you go? Not too much. Uh... So you're staying there for the duration no matter what, I guess. Well, that's what they told us. That's what they told you. Okay. Well, hopefully you'll have you'll you'll have your generator and your internet connection so maybe we can keep in touch. Mm-hmm. We can do that. We can do okay. that. Well that's and good. We're next that's door good. to uh, the hospital, the big hospital in in Lee County. Oh, 
if they haven't, I don't know if they've evacuated anybody. I'll have to think about this. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, well, anyway, sure. We can stay for a little bit. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to let, I'm going to hang up and let other people call in. All right, Dan. Okay. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Take care, everybody. You bet. Thank you. Bye-bye. 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 Seven one four five four five two zero seven one to treat the have Patricia on a Saturday night, the night before the rain comes down. Hey, that's a title. That was a luxury theater. The rain come. The rain came. Uh huh. So maybe. Well, they're going to here as well. (laughs) 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 Well, we'll take measurements periodically for you. Oh, there we go. Phone is ringing good. Hello, you're on with Patricia, John, and Gloria. And Walton. Hello. Hello there. Uh, hello. Hi, Celeste. How are you? Hi, Patricia. I hello. wanted to call to have something fun to say to you, but there's no fun right now. Oh, there will be. There will be again, I know, but you know what just makes me feel so ashamed that they just had a, a on television here. Both of our senators from this state and three congressmen are proud to announce to this nation that they voted against money for FEMA and they voted against money for Florida. I knew that had happened. I didn't realize that they had announced it. I'm glad they did, then everybody knows who they are. I just, it's just so embarrassing and just so horrible. Horrible, yeah. horrible. Well, they, they were the ones who voted Bad against. We're supposed to be one nation, and you know, other states voted for uh, Texas to get help when we money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But these That's are the same so people who voted against help for the Sandy victims up in New Jersey when they got hit with the superstorm up there. Yeah. Yeah. So, at least they haven't broken their record. Yeah. <laughs> at least they're consistent. I, I guess not, honey, but it's just, yeah. it's, it's disheartening. It's embarrassing. It's disheartening. And it's just, it's just not the right thing to do. It is not the right thing to do. I don't... And I agree with you 100%. You know, just, just on all counts. And not if you take it even politically, forget that, just out of human kindness. What would you do for your next-door neighbor? I mean, this is the way I feel about it. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I agree, too. Uh-huh. Okay. You wouldn't think twice. I can't march. Who's going to march in Washington for us? Oh, I don't know. I haven't. Is there going to be one? No, but we can start one. I think the American people, the American people. Yeah, I think the. I wish we could head up a big big march there. Or everybody can send a telegram. To the people who voted no. Well, and you can go on the internet and get your own representative and your senator and all that, and you can you mm-hmm. can do that. 
But you know what, Walden? Mm -hmm. I just don't think it'll make one bit of difference. Well, I think the only thing that does count is when we all vote in the ballot box. That's, yeah, it, that's what, what I counts. mean, of course, yes. Yeah, that's what that counts. Count, yeah. But I don't know. I'm not sure that, that these people can be embarrassed. I don't think you can embarrass them or bother them. They have their own agendas, and you just can't get ahead of their agendas. Even if your neighbor's house is flooded, you've got to go mm -hmm. on your own personal agenda. And I just... I just think, oh, that's so sad. Makes me sad for my country. Uh, Lo, I, I agree. Uh, it was interesting. Um, here's some interesting facts for everybody. Larry and I were talking last night, and John, and we did some research this morning about the the war loan bond drives during World War Two. Mm -hmm. Yes. There were yes. there were eight of them. Here are some interesting stats for everybody. Uh, it turned out the average donation for those four years combined wound up being $2,000 for every man, woman, and child. What do you think the average income was those years, annual income was? I missed the, for the average of the average, average American worker. Well, then what was it for? The, the the bond drives during World War Two. Oh, we, during World War Two. We had we had eight bond drives, and to count them, what people averaged it out to be for the lump sum, it was two thousand dollars that the average person donated to to buy bonds. If it were distributed evenly, yes. right. The so, was $2,000, and I would say that the wages per week in 19, when was this, 1941? 41, 42, 41 to 45, and, and they, with the average, what they give is an annual income is what they're looking for. Yes, and that, that, that's what I'm thinking about. Yeah. So it's for the entire five years, which means, um, hold on, Kevin, how's your dad doing? This is Yesterday USA. Okay. We're talking to Patricia, Celeste, John, yes. Mary. No, I'm not. And we're, and we're, we're doing okay. Well, I thought you said I was gone. <laughs> no, I was, just, I was just giving a little promotion that Patricia was stepping away from Yeah. Phone. She's off talking to another person. Yep. And that hits home personally for me because when I was went into kindergarten in the first grade, my daddy took out the automatic where every you know, the automatic payment out of right. uh, bond out of your salary. Right. And he did that for, I think, till 1946, starting in 41. And guess mm -hmm. what he did with that money? It helped send my brother to college, and go. it helped send me to college. So, so it worked so, out really well. So what do you think the average person was making... A year in during the war. I would I would think annually the average would have been somewhere around eleven. No, I would 10, say a little over two thousand. Ten or eleven. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Patricia, you're absolutely right. The average person's salary was two thousand dollars, and they donated two thousand dollars to the war war bond over uh -huh. the war. That is an incredible sacrifice. What we're, 
what mm-hmm. what we just what we did during the, those period of times. Well, now my daddy didn't donate each of his paychecks, but he did donate a good amount out of each paycheck. And that's what it says. You, and you, also, see, they were bonds, so they were making money. The longer you held on to them, the better off you were. We found, I found an entire website with a woman who wrote an article about it, so I thought we would invite her to talk about that sometime. How okay. interesting. Yeah. yeah. That would be a good interview. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Wonder if we could ever get that spirit back. I think it does we come never back. Will. I think it's gone forever. I'm like Patricia. I'm, I'm, you know, and after I. People who remember it and lived through it are virtually gone. We have so few people from World War II left. Yeah. That, you know, the. the, the, uh, There's a word I'm trying to think of. The the courage and the attitude Uh. of willingness to help is Uh. gone with them. Mm hmm. True. Sad, but true. Yeah. And the attitude back then was, you know, we're all one country, we're all pulling together. And now with this announcement tonight from these two people, you can see that to them, the country doesn't mean anything. They're trying to blackmail their way into getting getting their way. Mm-hmm. It's nothing it's else than blackmail when you talk about it, really. Yeah. It's just for a vote instead of money. But imagine, wouldn't you? I just, oh, I don't know. Anyway, I'll stop. <laughs> it's irritating. It's embarrassing. Oh, well. I'll give you a little one story. That would be a wonderful interview, uh, Walt. Yep, I Let's thought so. Read that piece. I thought so. It was a fun article that I read, so I want to invite her onto the show and talk about mm-hmm. that. So. Good. How about our potential guest? From Tuskegee. Ah, I need to reach out to him. Yes, that's another one who, uh, he is 95 and still works every day. Oh, my. And so he, he's one of the Tuskegee Airmen, so I need to reach out to him. Uh, oh. I, I, his daughter does his booking, so I need to say, when can we talk to him? So, yeah. uh, his name Are is... We next? <laughs> yes, his name is Bob Anderson. So, well, we'll, we'll I... I will reach out again and see if we can get Bob booked for us. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So now, Walden, you need to ask him. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong about this. Do you remember we talked about a long time ago the uh, the patriotic films they made during how the directors, mm-hmm. each director did Yes. Uh, I think maybe Tuskegee was the film that the one, uh, who was the radio guy that he turned to? Oh, um... Do you remember? I think you He found, wasn't I, happy with the films he was getting in, and he turned to somebody. Who's, who's one man's family? Carlton E. Moise. Right. Turned to Carlton E. Morris. Do you remember that? Yes, you you bought you found the story for us. It was yes. Okay. Well, I wonder if Tuskegee was where they were. I didn't notice where they were, mm. but it could have well been. That's a good anyway, point. We'll, we'll I'm going to let chance. somebody else call in. I, <laughs> I preach my indignation, but I know that they're good people, and I, I still in my heart think we outweigh them. What do we you do. think? We do. Do we ever? High ho silver. 
we outweigh them. Yes, hi-ho, Silver. <laughs> I'll say good night. <laughs> good night, Joyce. Bye-bye. That's an anxiety show. All right, 714-545-2071. For John and Larry, what kind of weather are you having out there? You've had fires well, it's, all along. Yeah. yeah, fires, but not near us. Um, you know, in the valley, Burbank area, there are fires, some in Northern California. Here it's been in the 70s, uh, maybe mid-70s. When I take out, when I fly tomorrow, it'll be in the 90s, but still maybe a little rain, but nothing significant. I'm uh, pleased. There's some place yeah. in the country where peace reigns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Mm-hmm. I'll be in the 90s for most of the week. Hmm. You take care of yourself, both of oh, you. Oh, yeah. Um, John, are you going to? No, this is for work. I'm going to work, he, but it's here. I guess, he, I guess he went to bed. No, he, well, you would think so, wouldn't you? But he's still around. Yeah. He's oh. not spoken in in centuries. John, well, speak. There's four, there's four or five people talking. You don't need me. Very, very interesting. Every time, virtually every time I've been on with you and John, I'll say something to John. And Larry, you'll say, oh, he went to bed. <laughs> oh, yeah. But actually, John, you want to tell Patricia about Disneyland, how they're closing down Disney World, and they're asking you guys to, to work extra hours, right? Well, they they began to close it tonight, and it'll be closed tomorrow and Monday, and then open back up on Tuesday. Is this Disney World? Yeah. Here in Florida, okay. Yeah. Um, I think they're going to have to change their mind about Tuesday. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a little Well, they could. They might. Yeah, because a, a couple of um, the announcers who are covering the storm said, and I've only heard it once from two people, that they're suggesting that people avoid Orlando because they're going to get clobbered. Oh, th- this came out yesterday, so they, they very well could adjust. Yeah. It'd be interesting. Clobbered and with I hope, rain? I hope they do because with the thunderstorms, a, a tornado came down. They showed a tornado starts out as what they call a water spout and when it hits land it's a tornado so it so travels a long way orlando's going to get hit predominantly with rain or with hurricane winds as well i i think pretty stiff winds probably not hurricane winds um i think i saw a plaster well maybe it is i plas- they plastered numbers all over the state and the lowest one was 95 miles an hour <laughs> so, that's hurricane one that's hurricane one yeah it certainly is so we're sharing the wealth so we have we have family who live where are they john in florida where do they evacuate from where do they evacuate from they went to atlanta and made it atlanta. yes but yes. i can't remember what city they're in in florida um tampa, tampa? maybe yeah, and they left a couple of nights ago, and they're not the only ones. It looks like yeah. the, the the freeways were just overloaded with people trying to get out. They, they were. They and still were. are, probably. Uh, I don't know. 75 pretty well got rung out, as far as I know. Uh, the traffic is still terrible, but it isn't gridlocked the way it was the other day. 
So I guess the people who are getting out have gotten out. So I don't know. It'll be an interesting experience. I'll let you know how the hallway works. <laughs> we were listening to WIOD in Miami this morning because yeah. that's where we thought it was actually going to come on shore. Yes. And then it bended around towards Tampa a little bit. And uh -huh. so we're, we're listening to WFLA now and a few other stations because we're trying to get a flavor because we can't see the TV. Yeah. Um, not that I don't mind watching it, but I think sometimes when you can't see, you get more out of the radio because of what they can bring you. Yes. And I, it, is a, it is a scary situation. And I listen to Katrina. Is, yeah. You know, television and I listen to a lot of others. Yeah. Television reports will frequently discuss what they're looking at and don't identify well what they're talking about. No. And on radio, they say, now here's traffic. And the person doing traffic will tell you what they are seeing. And here's uh -huh. somebody downtown. And, I mean, that's scary. Maybe it's the, maybe it's the word that makes it even more so. I remember, sure. I remember. Whatever our, it is, it's, yeah. Go ahead. I remember our, when we had our friend Michael Casey on. He gave us some excerpts of some interviews, and we have Larry King. And I saw on my computer talking about the 1957 hurricane. Mm -hmm. And remember, he was at the radio station, and they ran out of stuff. So when he went and broke the vending machine to get to stuff to eat, mm -hmm. while he was still on the air, I remember him telling that story. I my kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> that is good. That is good. So CNN is doing a reasonable job of talking about the movements and, you know, what have you. On Wink News, <laughs> which is a local station, they were drawing lines on maps. If it comes in in this area, well, what is this area to somebody like you? Mm-hmm. I mean, what area? <laughs> They'll never discuss it. If it comes yeah. into the left, it's going to be a problem. If it comes into the right, it's going to be an even bigger problem. Where? <laughs> you know? What does that mean? I know. I guess I guess it doesn't matter where it comes in. It's going to be a problem, but it'd be nice to know. It, it would be nice to know what the alternatives are if it doesn't mm -hmm. tip the way or continue on a path that they thought it would. So. Mom and Dad were watching anyway. TV this morning. They had a picture of Fort Myers, and they had a long line of people getting into community centers in yes, Fort Myers. The long one that they were showing is the Germain Center. Germain is the name of a business company, and they... I don't know if they bought all the advertising or something, but their name is up on the building. But it's the, the Germain. Um, anything. That's where the Everblades play. So the Everblades are our, I don't know, I guess AAA team. Mm. A team? Which, which one is the highest, Walden? AAA. 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 No, AAA okay. is higher. AAA. Then they are. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then they are. At, <laughs> forgive me for talking sports. <laughs> They are the triple A team, and on top, they're really a hot team. So that's where they stay. But it, the the long lines were for the Germain Center, and in the afternoon, somebody opened a second entrance, so they cut the weight in half for each side. Mm. 
So that was good. So if you were to walk downstairs right now, mm-hmm. open the door, walk mm-hmm. outside, mm-hmm. currently, what would you experience? Just a wet parking lot. I checked as I was coming up. Um, I checked out the window. The windows are at the end of the hallway here. And I could see wet spots in the parking lot. You know, they were they were glowing in the overhead lights. So, so you have rain. Do you have wind yet? Not that I've seen. Um, no? This afternoon we had some, you know, the palm fronds were flopping and the trees were, the leaves were, were twittering a little bit. But nothing substantial, nothing significant. Hello there. Hello there, Carl. You're on with Patricia, Larry, and John. I just called to get the coordinates to your room. (laughs) Our friend Dave. Dave Kane. Dave wants to see you in your room. In my what? In your office. Oh, oh, yes. You can do that. Just not in my room. (laughs) In your what? I don't care what you're wearing. That's what Peter Sellers said in the second Pink Panther movie he made. He was out in Switzerland, I guess. And the the um, hotel keeper at the desk said, "I do not have any rooms." And Peter Sellers said, "Rooms?" <laughs> and he said, "Room." <laughs> Room. So that's what that's a Peter Seller. Room. Yes. And that was the scene where the hotel keeper had a little dog, and Peter Sellers said, "Does your see your dog bite. <laughs> I said, no, my dog does not bite. <laughs> Peter Sellers stuck his hand down to pet the dog. <laughs> he bit him, oh, ferociously. The little dog, he said, I thought you said your dog doesn't bite. He said, it's not my dog. Not my dog. <laughs> it's one of my favorite lines. Melinda and I used to do that that segment all the time. It yes, so, was it so was, funny. It was, uh, uh, that, that's one that the mind latches onto and just keeps. So how are you, Dave? I fell asleep. I'm sorry. (laughs) You guys are doing great. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Are you on his show tomorrow morning? Uh, Yeah, you said you'd talk to him tomorrow. No. I'll I'll secretly give him my number. Oh, I thought he was doing an extra show so you could be on it tomorrow morning during the hurricane. Oh. Hurricane watch. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, you can hold the phone out the window. Uh, we had Beverly Washburn on this morning. Ah. Who did you have? Beverly. Oh, Beverly cool. Washburn, yeah. And, uh, and I mentioned you guys, and she had nothing but wonderful things to say about you. <laughs> she, she said who? <laughs> you know that funny-looking guy named Walden? Yeah. Walden who? Yeah. yeah. Well, don't get all excited, because I mentioned Hitler, and she had wonderful things to say about you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! He just he just thinks everybody's terrific. So I I knew it was okay for me to you know ask about you. So I wanted to tell you it went really great. Well, I'm glad. And uh, she had really did have wonderful things to say. Uh, Patricia, are you getting tired of being in there now? Am I what? Are you getting tired of being in your in your, in your facilities? I'm getting tired of being in pain. So as soon as they fix that, I can go home, but I can't go home until they fix that. Because if they don't fix that, I can't walk. 
and not being able to walk will not get me upstairs, which I could do two weeks ago. I'm not sure about now. The answer is being a pain, yes, and no. <laughs> yes and no. Tonight is a very good place to be, actually, the next couple of days. Well, good, then. I just wanted to check in and tell you guys I was thinking of you. Hang tough. All right, oh, Dave. Thank Catch you, Dave. Later. Take care. All right, there's Dave. Hang. I'm not talking to you, Walden. You don't need to hang tough. You're not near, near any earthquakes. Earth, well, you are near earthquakes. He, yeah. he doesn't really care whether he hangs tough or not. He was talking to Patricia. That's true. Yeah, when, when he says goodnight, he's gone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no no reciprocation here. No, no. Uh, uh, he's done. Uh, uh. See ya. Goodnight, Dave. <laughs> Whatever you are, yes. Wherever you are, yes. <laughs> Good night, David. Mr. Calabash, yes. (laughs) Okay, I am going to crawl downstairs, hunger down in my little nest, and go back to watching what we're going to get tomorrow. After a while, that must get tiresome, too. It is. I've had it on since last night. (laughs) And I, you know, and I took a break. It wasn't much of a break, but then I went back to it. I went flipping through the stations and picked out a couple that I would stick with because Anderson Cooper is in Fort Myers. Oh. I actually like Anderson Cooper. So don't pick on him. <laughs> <laughs> well, next Saturday night, if, if, it, if it all goes well, Patricia will have interviewed the Santa Claus School, but if we have to reschedule based upon undetermined factors, we can do that too. So we'll We'll see how Monday and Tuesday turns out. Only if I'm swimming to Texas, which I don't want to do. So Dan can keep his ultra-large inner tube, and I won't have to go anywhere. That's a good thing. Yeah, if I'm not underwater, then we're fine with a phone. That's true. Okay. All right, Patricia. Be safe. Oh, thank you. Good night, Larry. Good night, Good night. John. Good night, Patricia. Good night. Good night. Be safe. Good night. Okay, thanks. And if you Bye-bye. if you walk on water, we'll talk to you before Saturday. Oh, I have a private story about walking on Okay. <laughs> okay, we'll chat privately. Okay, I'll talk to you later. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. It's amazing, John. You say one word in an interview, but you know how to draw it out. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Well, the phones are not going to ring anymore. We should play a radio show. Which one? They might still ring. Imitate Patricia, John. Then they might ring. What did you? What was that? When somebody hangs. No, when oh, somebody that, hangs on Skype, that's okay. what. That's what you get. That was Patricia. Yes. We were, oh, we were talking last night about Zoom, and we worked on it today mm-hmm. a little bit, and uh, still have more work to do with it. So that's why we're not using it yet. We made some progress on it, so but we, we still we did, but not enough. No, not yet. So when we do, um, we'll be able to play. Sound is wonderful. Sound is terrific. Much better than Skype. Well, that's not saying much now because <laughs> yeah, Skype has taken a big step backward sound-wise. But we'll see what happens. We'll see if. Uh, if we can get a couple of issues fixed, yeah. and uh, maybe in the next week or two, we will uh, be playing in th- through Zoom. So we'll see. Okay. 
so I don't know how much longer he's going to stay up tonight, everybody, because he's got to leave tomorrow. So, John, are you still doing the barbecue tomorrow night with your family? I, I thought that was a yeah. possibility. Okay. Yep. And so I'll, I'll be I'll sticking around till you know, 10, 10.30. Okay. Okay, so I just want to be prepared what I need to do today and tomorrow. So, stuff like that there. So, which one of the shows should we want to play? John, Larry, any suggestions? What you want to do? Yeah, you play, play Mercury Theater first. Okay. That's that's a good one. It's a good one. It's called it's Hurricane. Good. It's actually not Mercury Theater. It's um, Campbell, Campbell Playhouse. Campbell Playhouse. I had to whistle to remember the. Oh, hang on. <laughs> is that is that Dave calling back? Hello there. You're on with John Ray. Uh, no, it's Kurt. Hi, Kurt. Hi, Kurt. Hello. Ooh, I barely hear Kurt. I'm turning them up. Um, I just wanted you to know um, that uh, my brother is in uh, Jacksonville, and uh, he's Keith, Keith is in Ma- Jacksonville. Yeah, that's. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's where he lives. Yeah, and he has decided to stay in his apartment uh, because, in terms of the rest of the family, he's probably the safest there as he is anywhere else. But um, that's, that's scary. Yeah, but he's I mean he's he says, you know, he's he's thinks he'll be fine and you know. So uh wanted you to know, and by the way, I am the reason that the Dodgers are in such a bad slump. Uh oh. they were doing fine until I started listening to them. <laughs> when I started listening to them, they started losing. Uh, there's a station in uh, Ventura County at 1450. Uh, uh, is it KVEN? Yes. 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 And they actually have the Dodger games. It's the only place that, that I've heard the Dodger games. But they're, they're on KVEN. Uh, <clears throat> and... Another little thing, Um, I'm reading a Michael Connelly book, a Harry Bosch uh, novel, Mm -hmm. and just just by coincidence, um, it is dedicated to Vince Scully with thanks. Really? How about that? Which I think is really cool. And I want to, I want to, since... You're going to be on a plane, uh, Larry. One of, uh, one of your guests uh, a long time ago, well, a few months ago, mentioned a book called My Eyes Have a Cold Nose. Yeah, it was a book written about, uh, written by Hector right. Chevenier, okay, who, well, was an, who was an author and a writer, well, yeah. uh, wrote soaps, and he was blind. Right. And I have the book. I haven't read it yet. Yeah, there's two versions of it on Bard. Uh, it is worth your time because because what it goes into and there's there's some stuff about guide dogs and stuff that is very I mean that's very interesting and about blindness too. I it was it's very much would very much be worth your time to read it. I have it on my Victor Reader stream. Yeah. Why are there two versions? Because uh, it was re- it was originally read by Livingston Gilbert, <laughs> Livingston Gilbert, and <clears throat> the Livingston Gilbert 
version <clears throat> is cut into chapters, but the uh, and there's only I forget how many headings, but the new version, uh, which was a, a re-recording, uh, is is actually in much is in much smaller uh, pieces because the ch of the way the chapters were numbered. And so I don't know. I guess because the guy was blind, I don't know. I I don't know. You know. But like I said, if, if you have the time to read it, 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 I would say, I would say it is very much worth your time. Walden, don't breathe in your mic. It it doesn't talk about. Um, uh, there's not much um, radio stuff in there. I'm so, I'm sorry to tell you, uh, but uh, it's it's very much. Um, very much worth it. And I will give it a listen. Okay. And also what? Uh, something about George Burns. Um, uh, yes. Uh, was just put on cassette a few days uh, it ago. It was, was uh, something to about 100, but... Yes. Yeah. I've got it. Yeah. Okay. I wanna, hey, before you go, Kurt, uh, there's some news, radio news, that KCSN will be now heard in Orange County. Uh, they are so they're taking over KSBR's frequency. programming. In other words, anything that's done on KCSN will be also be heard. They're on this. They share the same frequency, but they're simulcasting stuff from KCSN signal. So those of us who live here should be able to hear it now fairly easily. That's weird. Okay. Okay. It's gonna start on Tuesday, everybody. So those. Wow. I'll, I'll be curious. Yes. So I just and, wanted to. And Mention that. By the way, um, the the new uh, the new Victor uh, the Victor Trekker is coming out. Right. Yes. And uh, it's going to have its own um, uh, GPS. Uh, it's also got a built-in FM radio, uh, and it has like it it comes I think with like 32k kilobytes of, uh, of, of memory. And I've contacted them to find out if they're going to have Wi-Fi, if they're going to allow the kind of Wi-Fi that everybody else gets to use, and I don't know yet. Well, uh, Greg Stilson will be on Tech Talk Monday talking about it. So if you have an opportunity, it's worth listening to. Yeah, I, I, I will. I don't know if I could, if I would... Uh, be in a position, you know, like to call in, but I would be curious because I, I wish they had, they'd put, they get their, their, uh, their wife, the kind of Wi-Fi so that you could use your Victor 2 with Wi-Fi, you know? Yeah. And so I'm, I'm hoping, I, I called a couple days ago because I still, I, I mean, I, I mean, I'd love to get one of those and just, you know, because it has, it's it's going to be you know such bigger and better, uh, you know. So, anyway, well that's that's about it. But but that's the important news I have, and I have not heard, and I I have not listened to the Dodger game. So I, I, I the only thing I can do now is start listening when that when it's over and find <laughs> out what the score was. Uh, Kurt, I want you to do me a favor. Yes. Do not listen to the angel games i you know what i can't actually they probably would lose anyway without your <laughs> help they are now there's there's there 
there's no there's I have no frequency. The only uh, I are there even any any frequencies that you can listen to angel games? Yeah, well, but where are you now? Where are you living? Well, I'm in La Habra, but but like I said, I I get the one station for the Dodgers, but, but uh, you don't. Do you get KLAC? Yes. That's where they are. But they don't. But the Dodgers don't don't broadcast the games. Yes, they do. Well, then maybe they're on. They have first right of refusal on KLAC. Huh. If if the if the Bruins are on the Bruins go to KEIB or something. Oh okay, yeah that makes sense. But but, but yeah, yeah you should be able to get KL KLAA eight thirty fifty seven AM fifty seven eight thirty yeah, But I know I uh, I've I've gone to uh, KLAC a lot when the, when the when I checked KBEN the game wasn't there so that's I'm I'm at least on the stream. Maybe I should try it in uh, just in regular live radio. Yeah, I think live radio will probably try, be the way. Try it tomorrow. The game's over now. I think they but lost listen, against it. Listen on your radio. You, you won't be able to listen on your stream because they're taking the Internet feed, and they're not allowed to, broad, not allowed to broadcast the baseball games on the Internet. That's all tied into MLB but, and, and at bat. But if you listen, you listen the Dodgers are at home, so if you listen tomorrow afternoon around 12.31 o'clock. On your radio. On your radio. That's why I'm surprised that they're on KVEN. They've been on KVEN for years. <clears throat> oh, okay. Okay. Funny you should mention that. I, I, I got a call today while I was working with Walden on something else, on Zoom, from a friend named Jim Dooley. And Jim, we met at Pacific Pioneer Broadcasters, and he worked for 20-some years at, at KVEN. And he doesn't remember it, but I know I did a radio interview on KVEN, and I need huh. to find it. I think it's on my drive now, and I thought maybe he did it. I don't remember, but it's funny you bring that up tonight because I was about to look and haven't had a chance. Well, like I said, yeah, I've been listening to them on there, and I've also noticed that uh, there's been a I've, there's a lot more errors with um, oh I can't even remember which. If it's Rick Monday or the other guy, I think it's the other. What's the other guy's name? Steiner or something? Charlie Steiner. Char Charlie Steiner and Rick Monday on the air on radio. Uh, Charlie Steiner seems to be getting a lot of things wrong lately, and, and I'm actually, I'm actually concerned about you know, because it's happening so often. Hmm. Uh, as a as a as a, a stroke victim that that can't use the computer anymore and stuff. I, I mean, it makes me wonder, because I know how much yeah. I've, I've lost as far, as far as the strokes are concerned. Mm -hmm. So that's why I was curious. But um, anyway, I ought to call you guys and give you my landline number, although I think I'm getting another cell phone. I had to get rid of my smartphone, because I, I couldn't do it when I was be before the strokes. So... <laughs> You know, I always, I never, never got the uh, the real use of, of smartphones. I just couldn't, couldn't do it. Mm. Anyway. No, call us because if it's a different number, I don't think we have it. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I'll make sure you, I'll make sure you. Have, my old number, it's disconnected right now, but it's gonna. I mean, it's, it's. If I get a cell phone, it'll be the old number, and so I'll let you know. Okay. Anyway, keep up the good work, guys, and. Um, by the way, you know, <clears throat> just just 
because it's uh, I will be I will be 65 uh, on the 18th, and so. Uh, wow. Well, very early happy birthday. Yes, thank you very much. I, I just let I, I wanted everybody to know because I'm going to be officially old starting, starting <laughs> on the 18th. And uh, if you read my post on Facebook, you know about my feeling about the provider of birthdays. Because all the stuff you get for your birthday when you get our age is bad. And so uh, a couple of years ago, I had my stroke that week. And one week, I got, oh, one year, I got a blood clot for my birthday. So you never know what, what you're going to get. You know? And That's no, a scary it's, thought. It's chocolate. Anyway, I will talk to you guys later. Thank you. All right, Kurt. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot. Good night. Wow. I remember his brother Keith. Kurt and Keith were twins. Mm -hmm. They still are. Uh, But Keith was a, a, a maintenance man the year I was a counselor at Camp Bloomfield in 1970. Four. And I remember him because he was in my cabin. But we never really stayed in touch with Keith as much. No, Kurt, we stayed in touch with. Yeah, that, I know that's what I said. No, you said Keith. No, we didn't keep in touch with Keith as much. But we stayed in touch with Kurt. Right. And, and then I used to ride to work with him as he was riding to his work for several years when I was actually going to Harbor and MacArthur in Santa Ana. We oh, chatted okay. about a whole mess of stuff for a long time, for many years. And then, he, because he used to work with Janice, our friend Janice. And then he started working from home, I think, even before I started working from home, I think. And, of course, I, when, I, when I started from working from home, I never saw him anymore. But I heard him oftentimes on, uh, on Yesterday USA. And I used to hear him on... on, on, on uh, Hour 25 and other other outlets as well. You used to call straight radio stations a lot. We never did. Walden did. I did. My goodness, he could not keep Walden off the air. <laughs> but I never called, like once in a while, but not often. Well, I mean, you remember the first time you guys ever called in on a radio station? No. Do you, John? No. It was never that important to me. Once in a great while, we mm-hmm. would call in, um, especially like when Glenn had a guest. We'd call in a lot. Sure, that was different. And sometimes when Glenn Gordon had a guest, because it was a radio-related right. event. But I never used to call stations just to call stations. I just, I just didn't feel necess- it was necessary to do that. Well, you I never got- called in on KBC during sports talk. Rarely, rarely. And maybe it was because some of the people I heard call in had no business calling in because they didn't add anything to the conversation. I'm not talking about you. No, I was thinking some of the legendary. Or am I? Well, let me think. Let me think about that for a second. I was thinking. Um, then, never mind. I was just thinking of the legendary callers on KBC Sport Talk. Oh my! Goodness. In the early in the mid seventies. Yeah. And one of them. Well, do you agree with what I just said? Sure, especially in the especially in this. And I didn't realize this until we had a KBC panel, and looking back upon it, how much 
Dice Your Talk ruled KABC in the oh, 70s and 80s. Yeah. And if you remember, those things went for hours and hours. Because well, it made them a hell of a lot, a lot of money. Yeah. The games didn't do as much for them as the as the the Dodger Talk with all the commercials and stuff. KBC yeah. made a ton of money off that. But I was just thinking the legendary callers, there's one who is still totally active today that I heard 40-some-odd years ago. And can you... Who? Oh, you want to take a guess? Hot Bud from Hawthorne? Oh, he's, he's in the top three. Is he dead or is he... I don't son? know. I have not heard Bud in a few years. Oh, my gosh. How did I remember Bud from Hawthorne? But there's somebody I would put above him who was really a nasty guy. He really... He got... The usually basketball coach, the one that actually took from John Wooden, he got him oh. to walk out of KBC studio. Oh, that was um, he, then he later coached Alabama. Yes, Alabama. Gene Bartow. Right, right. What did he say? I don't know, but it was Jeff from Tarzana who did it. Oh my God, I remember Jeff from Tarzana, and he he is still calling. I'll tell you. He must have nothing but to better to do with his life in the call. I had heard from someone, and I don't know if it's true, that he is handicapped. Not that that makes any difference. I mean, otherwise, you know, we'd be calling KBC. True, but he... Uh, he, just, he was very... And he, not... Uh, he was just very... Boy George. Huh? Boy George. Yeah. Belligerent, and he just was... Whatever you thought, he'd, he'd go the opposite way. Yeah. Confrontational. Yes, he was. Jeff from Tarzana, to me, if you look back on the legendary callers of Sports Talk Radio in L.A., he had to be in the top five. He and Bud from and, Hawthorne. And, and Tommy Hawkins, who never said a bad word about anybody, I think would have probably weighed his decision when talking about <laughs> Jeff from Tarzana. Because, wow, he was just belligerent to be belligerent yeah. in many cases. Yeah. And, and Bud Ferrillo, my gosh, the comments and the quarrels they used to get into. Uh, I don't even know that he is allowed to call Mason and Ireland anymore. Mm. Not sure. I am just uh, – who else? Anybody else rings a bell? Those are some of the names I can think of who are still sticks out in my memory bank. There's probably others. No, there are lot, lots you know, more. You know. Lots more. Not sure exactly who. Well, I know a lot of our callers have just can't wait for us to continue talking about Jeff from Tarzana. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they are sitting there with bated breath. No, what they really want to know, Larry, is did you check in on your Delta flight yet for tomorrow? No, I forgot to. Well, come on. Oh, that's why you want to play Campbell Playhouse. So you can check in Actually, during the next hour. Actually, I was going to do it, but... Actually, I can do it on my laptop. Now, this was interesting. I'm recording here. This was interesting. Um, and I, I, I don't know the backstory. I wish we could figure out how this got put together. Because when Orson Welles passed away, he passed away, I think, in 1985, was it? Yes. I'm trying to remember what time of the year. I, I Maybe oh. October, something like that. It was the latter part of the year, October, November. Yeah. And then, Fairly early in the morning. And then a few months later... It wasn't October because Jeff Bellman, Bellman did a documentary about him, and I think that was in October. So it might have been 
like August, September. And, and I know Bob, wanted, it took a while for Bob to do a two-parter. He put, he put some time and effort into it. He, he didn't play his two-parter right away on Orson Welles. I think it was almost like January. January. Yeah. yeah. But what always was fascinating to me that, and I'd like to find out the backstory, somebody repackaged the recordings and syndicate them nationally with new commercials. Who's recording? The Campbell Playhouse broadcast. And oh, well, no, that was done by Campbell's with Helen Hayes doing all of the, uh, new doing, com- uh, the, new the commercial. Host- hostessing. Right. So to me, yeah, I wonder. Yeah, I've got a piece of tape when the premiere of that was done in New York. Uh, Jack Shug and Max Schmid went down there to the reception, and I have a copy of that tape. So I wonder who with the idea and sold it to Campbell to do this. I mean, to, to me, and I was syndicated naturally. I can remember him. Yeah. I can remember hearing K Don out of Las Vegas play it Sunday morning, like at five or six in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, there used to be, and money. I think it was a, it was a two-year-old Martin Grams. <laughs> <laughs> and it used to be a, if you remember, we used to have a twenty-four hour money station, K Money. Yes. Yep. Bud Schwartz. Eight forty. Yeah, sixteen something. Yeah. And Bud Schwartz, you know, Bud, is, I think it was Schwartz. No, was, that's right. He was on Bud K- Schwartz. He was KFI. He was the money guy on KF, you know, KIEV in the afternoon, and then he got people to put money in the limited partnership, and they bought the station. And they ran it for, I don't know, maybe 10 years. And occasionally, they would run some old-time radio. Not all the time. But they carried the Campbell Playhouse. That's the first time I remember hearing it and I re- would record them but the problem that station at night would fade in so bad fade in and out in and out so bad so a lot of times I didn't keep my air checks of those you know repackaged Campbell Playhouse and this is the first time I ever heard Hurricane was on one of those uh, repackaged Campbell Playhouse shows might have been on K-Don but it's just sort of that's why I mentioned it to Larry when we were thinking about hurricane shows. And I think originally it was, uh, I don't know if it's a reproduction of the movie, the film, uh, in the, in the with John Hall and Dorothy Lamore in the mid-30s, but that's what I think it was. And this is not 59 minutes long, is it, John? Isn't it short? Like 54 uh, minutes I'm not long? not sure. No, I don't remember. Maybe part of the repackaging, maybe that's where the, we got the copy. Because, be. because some of the MP3 discs that Mike Handy had, um, which Orson well, some of them were the Hell, Hell and Hayes repackaged. So I know somebody recorded them and put them on MP3. So mm. maybe that's where we got this from. So with that, we'll go to that and we'll be back in the for so minutes or so. And uh, we'll see if we was able to book a flight for them all. I'm working on it now. Uh, the flight's booked. I just have to check in online. All righty. We'll so we'll see how out. accessible Delta Airlines is. It's supposed to be. So we'll, we'll see. Fi- we'll find out. In 54 minutes, everybody, here on Yesterday USA. Jaws Professional Saturn.
Windows M, Desktop M, My Music M, My Documents, Enter, Document. 4 on S, Saturday, Enter, Saturday, Gunsmoke, Campbell, Playhouse, 39110, Unloading, Jaw, Cans, OK, Enter, Saturday, Night, 9, 9. The makers of Campbell Soup present the Campbell Playhouse. Orson Welles, producer. Good evening. This is Orson Welles. A hurricane, according to the dictionary, is the highest term in scales of wind forces. I quote from Webster, hurricane. Cyclones of diameter of from 50 to 100 miles, wherein the air moves with a velocity of from 80 to 130 miles an hour around a central calm space, which, with a whole system, advances in a straight or curved track, especially prevalent in the tropical regions of the Pacific. The final definition describes a hurricane as a violent rush or commotion, bringing with it destruction or confusion. Now, we'll try to leave out the confusion, and I promise you we're not doing the dictionary, but I think you ought to know as authoritatively as possible, what you're in for. Tonight's story, which is about a hurricane, is called The Hurricane. And the aim is to show what a cyclone of a diameter from 50 to 100 miles can do to a South Sea Island paradise and to the lives of the people who are still alive after it blows over. But the hurricane isn't the star of the hurricane. Mary Astor is, as she was in the picture and as I promised you last week. The hurricane is what happened. What happens to a young couple of the South Pacific and to another couple sent down there to rule over them? The people are what count, and not the weather. And the whole system advancing in its straight or curved track will be over in a minute, and it will hurt me more than it does you. Anyway, it doesn't come for some time, and there'll be lots of soft music and laughing dark-eyed maidens to keep your mind off the falling barometer. Now, just a minute before we set sail for the lands of soft music, sweet breezes, big blows, and Miss Mary Astor... Ernest Chappell hurries up our armchair gangplank with an interesting mealtime reminder for us all. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Chappell. Thank you, Orson Welles. It's just this, ladies and gentlemen. I'm pretty sure that many of you, at some time or other, have had this experience. You've come to the table tired and a bit worn out. Your appetite is, well, let's say indifferent as you sit down. But then your eye is taken by a bright, glowing plate of Campbell's tomato soup set before you. You catch a whiff of its fragrant aroma, inviting you to taste it. You pick up your spoon, dip it in, and take a sip. And on the instant, its tingling, deep tomato flavor takes hold of your appetite. You find yourself not only finishing your plateful down to the last delicious drop, but also eating the rest of your meal and enjoying it. Now, of course, it is true that Campbell's tomato soup, perhaps more than any other soup, has a way of coaxing on a tired appetite. And yet at the same time, this smooth blend of luscious, ripe tomatoes with its delicate seasoning and golden table butter also appeals to and helps satisfy the very liveliest appetite at any meal. No wonder it's the favorite soup of most people, served often and enjoyed always. And now we bring you the hurricane with Orson Welles and our guest of the evening, Miss Mary Astor. How far is Tahiti from here, Captain Nagel? 600 miles, madame. Are we really in the South Seas now? Right in the heart of them. The South Sea Islands. The last hiding place of beauty and adventure. That's what all the travel folders say. Captain, what's that wretched barren spot way off there to the right? That's one of them. 
One of the South Sea Islands. Nothing like that in the folders. There was a time when it was mentioned in all the folders. Oh, but it's just a silly-looking sandwich. Is it a name? It's the island of Manakura. Twenty years ago, that was the most beautiful of all the islands that raised their little green heads above these waters. The most beautiful and enchanting bit of paradise in all the world. I always throw it a kiss when I pass it for old time's sake. Excuse me, madame. What happened to it, Captain? It's a very simple story, madame. That island made the mistake of being born in the heart of the hurricane belt. It begins quite a while back. I ran a boat between here and Tahiti in those days, before I got old and sober. And one beautiful morning like this, I sailed up to the beautiful island that used to be with sugar and calico and a few other things for the islanders, besides a new governor from Europe to enforce the law. Later, I wished I'd thrown him overboard. He was just about as beneficial as the hurricane. But maybe I misjudge him. It's his story anyway, and I guess his story is as good as mine. The Journal of Eugene Delage. Administrator of Manakura, August 5th, 1902. From Tahiti to here, nine days on the Katapoa. Fair wind and a calm sea. And early this morning, we sighted Manakura. Look, Eugene, the island. Yes, there it is. I never believed there was such beauty in the world. It's paradise, Eugene. Our paradise. Let's hope the residence is a fit place to live in. I understand the last administrator is very incompetent. Lovely sort of fellow. I'm telling what we're getting into. I'll never want it changed. Not any part of it. Very well, my dear. You admire and I'll remodel. Natives are probably lazy and dirty and immoral. I've understood from other governors that these South Sea people are utterly lawless. Oh, that depends, Your Excellency. Oh, hello, Captain. Good morning, Madame de Beg your pardon, Captain. It depends, Your Excellency, largely on how you treat these people. Uh, take my mate, Tarangi, for instance. I'll match him against any sailor in the Pacific. How's the wind, Tarangi? Holding... Morning, Captain. It has to hold, if I say so. <laughs> I'd as soon sail without canvas as I would without Tarangi. Captain, canoes coming. Coming aboard. What's that? Canoes. They're coming out to meet us. Chief Mahavia and his family. Lower the ladders there. Yes, sir. Yes, they're a fine lot, these islanders, if you'll just leave them alone. Really, Captain, you can hardly expect me to sympathize with such an opinion. Besides, I've been led to believe quite differently. Mahavi! Come up and welcome! That's him coming up the ladder. The tall one with the white hair. And with him is his brother, Tavi, and his daughter, Marama. What a lovely girl. Welcome! Welcome, Mahavi! Great chief, in the name of all my people, I welcome you to our island of Manakura. Thank you. May we work together, our people and you, in friendship and understanding for the benefit of all. On behalf of the colonial government of my country, remembering always that duty comes before friendship and obedience before understanding, I accept your welcome, Chief Mahavi. Uh, Great Chief, my wife is dead. My daughter will speak now for the women of our island. Like these white flowers, madame, may your life be happy among us. May beauty and love dwell with you always. What is your name, my child? My name is Marama. Thank you, Marama. 
I saw your island for the first time barely an hour ago, from afar. But already I feel that you and your people are known to me, and that there is love between us. Always I hope you will think of my husband and me not as strangers in your midst, but as friends. And uh, here, Your Excellency, is our priest, Father Paul. Yes? Father Paul, this is uh, Madame Delage. Yes, I heard what she said just now to Marama. That was a fine thing you did, Madame Delage. With one simple, gracious speech, you have done much to erase all the pain and misunderstanding that has marred the relations between the people of this island and the alien law that governs them. That's very kind of you, Father. <laughs> it's against my principles, Madame Delage, to agree with Father Paul, but I'm afraid this time I've got to admit he's right. <laughs> Thank you, Captain. Uh, well, Father Paul, as soon as it's possible, I want you to show me everything of your work. As administrator of this island, I shall be... <laughs> What are you laughing at? Does it amuse you, Captain? Uh, it does, Robert. I, I'm sorry, Monsieur Delage. Uh, you see, madame, your husband may administrate all he wants to, but do you know who really runs the people of this island? Who? My father, Paul. Isn't that so, father? You marry them, you bring their children into the world, you baptize them, you bring them up, and in the end, you bury them. stolen a canoe. Stealing is against the law. There's a penalty for breaking the law. He's therefore sentenced to 30 days punishment. Finished with those 30 days, he'll know better than to break the law again. What great chief. You've heard the sentence, Chief Mavis. That's a harsh sentence, Your Excellency. My concern, Father Paul. But after all, Your Excellency... There's no use your pleading for this fellow, Father. I don't interfere with your work, which is religion. Please don't interfere with mine, which is justice. Chief Mavis, this man is sentenced to 30 days hard labor on the coral reef. See that sentence is executed. March 17th. Over the length and breadth of the island this week, all thought of work is forgotten. Captain Nagel's mate, Tarangi, and uh, Mahavi's daughter, Marama, are to be married. A great feast has been spread in the clearing in front of the residences. There's laughter and music everywhere. Men and women both are decorated with great wreaths of white flowers, and there is dancing every night, March 19th. Incident occurred today which has disturbed me profoundly. My wife's sake, I've ignored it. I'm not sure, however, that I've acted wisely in doing so. Marama, Marama, wait! You must have followed me. You know that if we are caught. Yeah, I thought. It's against the law for the betrothed to be alone until their wedding day. But we've always been together, Marama. We always will be. It was meant to be so. It's written in the stars. If it is written in the stars, then it is so. And it is. You've no way of knowing. But I have. Deep inside me, I know. There is no law of God or man can keep us apart, Marama. You must not say such things, Sarangi. It frightens if me. If it were wrong, then I should not say it. But it's right, and I believe it. And it shall be true. If the great water should separate us, I would swim to you, Marama. If walls are built around me, I shall climb them. And if chains hold me, I shall break them. But always, I will return to you, Marama. Believe that. Why did you say that, Tarak? To what? About the great water. 
It is as if you had some portent. Oh, I'm only making love to you, and yet you read a portent in it. Tarangi. The hour, Monsieur Delage comes for his walk along the beach. He might see us. Ah, what if he does? We'll be married tomorrow. He'd not be pleased. What does that matter? He's never pleased. All the same, I don't want him to see us. I'm afraid of him, Tarangi. He walks so stiff and straight and, and looks so stern as if he always expected to catch us in some wrong. Oh, I'm glad I'm not going to be his wife. <laughs> With a husband like that, Tarangi, a girl would never laugh and smile. But you're not marrying Monsieur Delage, Marama. You're marrying me. And with me, you can laugh and smile and make love. And after we're married... I stood still in the long grass by the edge of the beach and heard them. I heard every word they said about me until they moved away. After they had gone, I stood there quietly for a long time, looking out over the lagoon. Why do these people feel about me as they do? I've tried to be just and honest and fair... I've been as friendly with them as my position and my responsibility will permit. I've done my work here well. I've upheld the law to the letter. That's what I was sent here to do. And I've done it. What more could I do? committed to me, I now pronounce you, Marama, and you, Tarangi, united in the bonds of matrimony through the Saint Christ our Lord. Amen. Listen to that, Delage. That's music. Oh, come on out and watch them dancing. Forget that stiff-necked government of yours for a night. You'll permit me to remind you, Captain Nagel, that as representative of that stiff-necked government... I've seen quite enough of these marriage festivities, and I should say that you had too, Captain. Me? Me? Well, we've only just begun. Well, good night. Uh, didn't mean to offend you, Delage. Sorry you both won't join me. Good night, madame. Good night, Captain. I'm afraid that sometimes the captain is uh, overly fond of his cognac. I'm sure he didn't mean to offend you, Eugene. It was nice of you to join the wedding party even for that little while. It made them happy. It wasn't so hard, was it? I don't know that my government would have approved. There's no harm done, I guess. No, no harm done, Eugene. And a great deal of good. If you'd only try and understand these people, Eugene, they're not like us. Why don't you let me help you to see them? Not through the eyes of your bureaus and your official reports. How else should I see them? Through my eyes, as you did for a little while this afternoon, during that marriage. So you were pleased with me this afternoon. I felt nearer to you then, Eugene, than I've been for many months. Thank you, my dear. I think that's the one thing I couldn't bear. Whatever happens, that we should ever drift apart. Either in our minds or in our hearts. May 26th, Captain Nagel left today for Tahiti. All night they were loading. When they sailed, the Catapora carried the biggest shipment in the history of the island. There were a hundred tons of copra. I think I may be permitted a not unreasonable pride in the reports I sent in with him. Colonial government. Mm-hmm. 
Good sailing, Tarangi. Twelve days from the islands to Tahiti. Well, you can go ashore if you like. We won't be unloaded till morning. We'll start for home at the tide. Thank you, Captain Nagel. I want to get a present for Marama here in Tahiti to make her happy. Well, you go along, then. I'll meet you at six at the bar. We'll come aboard together. Yes, Captain. Thank you, Captain. Hello, Tarangi. When did Karapua get in? This afternoon. Captain Nagel here yet? Not yet. Tarangi. Yes, sure. See that man coming towards the bar? He's been here all afternoon. He's drunk, looking for trouble. Well, I'm not making any trouble. You know how white men are when they're drunk. Get away from that bar, Let you! Let it go, Tarangi. I don't drink with natives. Get away from that bar! Please, I tell you, Tarangi. I'm not doing anything wrong. Oh, you're not, eh? Well, get up. Get up when a white man tells you, do you hear me? That'll teach you to obey your superiors, you! But, Your Honor, six months... Captain Nagel, you heard the verdict of the court. A native hit a white man and hit him too hard. Not hard enough, sir. The man was molesting him. The sentence is unjust, Your Honor, and you know this it. This court has sentence, Captain Nagel. Six months. The sentence will stand. But I sail in the morning. Is there nothing you can do? There's nothing I can do. I mean, there's nothing you will do. That's right. Good day, Captain Nagel. Captain Nagel, Captain Nagel. I've done all I can, Tarangi. Six months isn't long. The time will pass quickly. You will see Marama, Captain. You will tell her how it is with me. Yes, Tarangi. You will see that she is taken care of, please. Of course we will, Tarangi. And Captain, tell her... Tell her not to be sad. And tell her not to worry. Tell her I'll come back to her soon. But, Eugene, it sounds so unjust. Politics and red tape, that's all it is. It's an offense to good government. Passion is a dangerous thing, Captain. I wouldn't criticize the government because a native breaks the law. But Delage, even the jury was sick about it. I could see it. The magistrate, as I take it, is a just man, as I try to be. You see that no unfair punishment is inflicted. Unfair punishment. If I may remind you, Nagel, I don't choose to listen to criticism of my fellow administrators. It's not easy to wield authority. The man who allows sentiment to warp his judgment fails in his duty. Something you perhaps can't understand. Perhaps not. Sometimes I think perhaps I've been too lenient here. I wouldn't worry about that, Delage. Thank you for that assurance, Captain. Eugene. Gentlemen, gentlemen, it isn't worth quarreling about. Six months isn't forever. Why, first thing you know, Captain, you'll be bringing Tarangi back in time to see me bring his child into the world. Child? Yes, Eugene. I didn't know. But that doesn't affect the case. Eugene. Germaine, there are things that concern me alone. I must ask you in the future to leave the administration of this island to me. Trust you won't think it necessary for me to speak to you again. All right, now, gentlemen, if you'll excuse me, I have work to do. We shall expect you at the residence at dinner. Tarangi. Yes, Your Honor. For assaulting a white man, you were condemned by the High Court of the island of Tahiti to six months' imprisonment. You tried to escape. For that offense, your sentence was doubled. Four times you have attempted to escape. Four times you have been recaptured. And now, again, you appear before this court. 
And again, this court must sentence you according to the law. You know the law. You know the punishment. Double your previous sentence. Sixteen years. Captain Nagel. Yes, Delage. You had this information two months ago when you were here on your last voyage. Why wasn't I told? What information, You know very Delage? well what I mean. Eugene, what is it? Only what might have been expected, madame. Tarangi escaped again two months ago. This time he got away. A guard was killed by accident. <laughs> accident. I happen to know the facts, Delage. And I have them here in this letter from the warden, the prison official facts. You thought I wouldn't find out, didn't you? You thought you could shield and murder. Oh, I'm sure that's not true, Eugene. She's right, Delage. That boy wouldn't commit a deliberate murder. And we all know how the captain feels about Tarangi's misfortune. Misfortune? He brought it all on himself, Father, by his stubborn defiance. Now, by escaping, he's made a laughing stock of the police, of the law. Above all, of me. Oh, Eugene. He must be retaken. The government's prestige will suffer if he goes unpunished now. I think it suffers more when a boy can get 16 years for striking a man who molests him. I know very well what you think. What you all think. Cease to be of any interest to me. The authorities believe he will attempt to make his way to this island. They warn me to watch your ship, Captain Nagel. My ship was searched before I sailed. We trucked to Kielsen. And anyway, don't you know that Tarangi wouldn't implicate me by stowing away? Where would he hide on a boat the size of the Catatoa? Your crew would hide him. I only ask you to remember your duty, Captain, as I attempt to remember mine. Eugene, judged by God's law, Tarangi has done no harm. Isn't that true, Father? I may be a sentimental old man, madame, and a very bad priest, but I believe God would judge somewhat differently from the colonial government. listening to Orson Welles in the Campbell Playhouse presentation of The Hurricane with Mary Astor. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. This is Ernest Chappell, ladies and gentlemen, welcoming you back to the Campbell Playhouse. In a moment, we shall resume our presentation of The Hurricane. As we offer these presentations in the Campbell Playhouse on Sunday evenings for your entertainment, so on the other six days of the week, your grocer offers you Campbell Soups for your enjoyment. And, of course, by your purchases of our soups, you tell us two things. One is that you like the Campbell Playhouse. And the other is that you and your family like the fine flavor of Campbell Soup. Now, undoubtedly, there are many Campbell Soups that you and your family have enjoyed for a long time. But we know, too... That there are one or two soups that some of you may still make at home. Now, if this is the case at your house, for whatever reason, won't you take this as an invitation to try these soups as Campbell's make them? If you'll try them just once, I'm confident that their flavor and good nourishment and your family's enjoyment of them will prompt you too, as women everywhere are doing these days, to say to yourself, after all, why should I trouble to make any soup anymore when these fine soups of Campbell's are waiting at my grocer's? And now Orson Welles resumes our Campbell Playhouse presentation of The Hurricane with Mary Astor. 
Journal of Eugene Delage, Governor of the Island of Manakura, 1902-199. August 5th, 99. Today is the seventh anniversary of our arrival, Manakura. Little to celebrate. Still no news of Turangi. Over the island there hangs a strange gloom. Grows for the month. What's that confounded noise? I don't know, Eugene. It sounds very gay. It's months since they played like that. Why? Why? Yes, for months this island has been like the place of the dead. Now suddenly tonight this. There's no festival this time of the year. I'm going to find out. What are you going to do? I'm going to find out what it is. People are celebrating your excellence. Celebrating? Celebrating what? Their happiness, excellence. What are they happy about? Well, Tarangi, your excellence. What did you say, Mahiri? He's coming home, Delage. Tarangi is coming home. How dare you? How dare you stand there and defy me and you, Mahiri? Where did you hear this? Who brought the news? I can tell you that, Delage. Well, Captain Nagel. The drums have brought the news. 600 miles from Tahiti, the birds have brought it. You hear the wind blowing? Well, it came on the wind. Nagel, you're drunk. Well, maybe I am, Your Excellency, but what have you got to say to all this? How about it? Has your colonial government any law against dancing and singing when the heart is happy? Eh, hey, have they? Well, maybe. Administrator of this island, I demand to know what information you're holding back. Is Taraki here? You've seen him. You don't have to see him, Your Excellency. He's the soul and symbol of all these people. No cage can hold them. They're the last of the world's afflicted race of humans who believe in freedom. Look at them dance. Those the island dancers to your Lord. August 11th, no word of Tarangi, no sign of him, yet I'm sure these people are right that he's near. Shall instruct Captain Nagel to take me to Katapoa for an extended search over the islands. Motutanga, Motuatia, even the Far Island. Must you make this trip, yes, Eugene? I must make this. Why? It's only my regular tour of the island. I shan't be gone a month. Why are you so concerned? No, it's only... I don't see how you can go on his ship after the way you talked to Captain Nagel. I don't hold grudges. You know that. Nagel ought to know it, too, after all these years. I know why you're going, Eugene. You hope to find Tarangi. Well? Don't go. You should know me well enough not to ask that. Once, one night in this room, six months after we came here, I asked you something. You asked me to see these people through your eyes, not the eyes of the law. What's happened? An accident. No accident, Germaine. The logical outcome of my own weakness in listening to you. Eugene, you do I made a mistake once, Germaine. I don't intend to make it again. No matter what the cost. What is it you want, Eugene? That boy's life? You, the priest, Captain Nagel. You all think I'm motivated by revenge. As if I could be that small. I know you're not. They know you're not. Believe me, Eugene, we all understand. That's why we pity you. That's why I beg you now to give up this passion of yours before it destroys us all. Give him his chance, Eugene. Him and Marama, they love each other as we once loved each other. Germaine, 
All the others are against me. Not you, Jimmy. August 12th, the search for Tarangi has begun. Catapo is well out of the lagoon now and in full sail. While back, we passed Father Paul, the native boy, Marco, making their weekly fishing trip in that little yawl. Strange, enviable man, Father Paul. The simple life he leads. His work and his play are one. And in them he finds such peace. I envy him that peace. Shall I steer a while, Father Paul? You must be getting tired. Not yet, Marco. Soon it will be time for supper, then you may take the killer. What are you staring at, Marco? Look, Father. Do you see nothing? Huh? What is it, a log? A canoe. And a man clinging to it. You sharper eyes than mine, lad. There. He's moving again. Are you sure? Yes, Father. Maybe it's... Maybe it's him, Father. Maybe it's Tarangi. How long were you in the water, Tarangi, hanging to the canoe? Two days. Oh, it's good to be alive, Father. Yes, my son. After that experience, 600 miles alone. Doesn't seem possible. Well, you've done it. Now you're faced with another problem. What are you going to do? Now I'm going to see my wife and the child I've never seen. And my mother. And then what? Well, you know everything, Father, that I killed a guard. I didn't mean to, but he was killed by me just the same. I can't ask you to help me. Yet you know what it will mean to me if you would. I know. Father, you're not going to tell. Give me one day, Father. That's all I ask. Give me one day with Marama before you tell anyone. I first saw you, Tarangi, an hour after you were born. I watched you grow to manhood. All the events of your life have been an open book to me. How can I be your judge? Then you're not going to tell, Father? No, I'm not going to tell. Tarangi, the administrator, is making a tour of the island searching for you. He's expected back soon. You must be gone with your wife and child before he returns. Oh, Father... Father, how can I ever thank you? You don't owe me any thanks, Tarangi. This is just between me and somebody else. waited for you all these months, all these years. And now we're together again. We two. We three. Tita. Yes, mother? This is your father, Tita. He has come home. Oh, little Marama. She has your hair. But your nose. And eyes, your eyes. And your temper. You should see her fight with the boys. She is both of us. She'll be strong like me and pretty like you. Oh, a lucky man, madam. Frightened, Tarangi. If they should find you here... Do you remember what I said a long time ago? That even though the great water separated us, 
I would swim back. Though they built walls around me and bound me with chains, I would still come back to you. Yes, Taranki. I have come back. They can't take this day away from us. There has been no day like this, Marama, since the world was lifted from the sea. forgotten I would wake and find you beside me. And if I just reached out my hand, I would find yours. It's so good. Terangi, you must get up. My father, Mahavi, is here. He's outside waiting for us. Mahavi? Greetings, Terangi. Father, my son. I waited as long as I dared before I came to you. You must be gone before the administrator returns. But where to? To the Forbidden Island. Fenua Ino. Fenua Ino? But that is taboo. That is why no one will look for you. Once there, you and Marama will be safe for the rest of your lives. Yes, Father. Tonight, Marco and Marama will sail my canoe across. Yes, Father. And after, you will go together tonight to the Forbidden Island, to Fenua Ino. August 19th, Catapur Dock today. Our search was fruitless. August 19th. Catapur dock today. Our search was fruitless. With the news I bear, there was no pleasure in coming home. The strange disquiet on the island. Feel it all about me. There's no movement among the natives. They only stand about and keep watching me. I have a curious feeling that something is going on here in this island behind my back. Jermaine met me at the dock. Even her greeting was strained. And at dinner at the residency tonight, Father Paul did not appear. I've never known him to miss one of these dinners of yours before. It's strange his not being here tonight. Why do you suppose he didn't come? Oh, he's in the village with Mama Rua, I expect. She's nearing the end now. She's going to die. Who? Tarangi's mother. She keeps mm. hanging on, though. She has a feeling she's going to see her son once more before she dies. What makes her feel that, Captain? Just delirium, I suppose. I'm asking the Captain, my dear. Oh, your wife's right, Delage. It's uh, the fever, probably, and some sort of superstition. You know how these natives are. Yes, I know. You can never tell what's going on in their minds. In the seven years I've been here, I've learned to rely on instincts. Tell you there's something going on in the siren. As I came up through the village, I don't know, natives behaved queerly. Some of them smiled at me. Never do that. 
It's watching me and smiling. Smiling behind my back. If Tarangi was on the island, none of you would tell me, would you? Would you? That, uh, <clears throat> that wind's been rising all evening. The worst I've heard in a long time. Like devils running around. Yes, looks like we're in for a real blow this time. Well, I'd better be getting down to my ship. I've never been on the island in a storm. Do they get very bad, Captain? Well, I've heard tales of them. The great wind, the natives call them. A wind that blows the islands out of the sea. But I think Manakoro's pretty well anchored. Well, good night, Madame Delage. Good night, Captain. Good night, Delage. Good night, Captain. The man. The man. Did you hear anything? Just the wind, Eugene, that's all. I thought I heard voices. I'm right. There is something afoot. Outside there. Something queer going on behind my back. Fantastic patterns on the wall. <sighs> Behind all that sound, there's something... something secret going on. I can't sleep. And I can't bear to be indoors. Perhaps if I go out into the air, onto the open beach... here on the beach this time of night. Feeling the chief's canoe, eh? Well, answer me. What are you storing tins of water in that? That's food. Answer me. I'm going fishing, Your Excellency. You're lying. This has something to do with Tarangi. No, Your Excellency. I swear Look to... at you. When I mention his name, your eyes tell me that I've been trying to find out. Tarangi's on this island, isn't he? Huh? Answer me. I tell you, this news is keeping silent. I should take it to Father Paul. He'll make you tell the truth. Father Paul, I didn't tell. I didn't tell. See, Father Paul, this boy is guilty. That canoe was for Tarangi. Tarangi is here. Nagel received me, smuggled him in right under my eyes. That's not true, Delage. Captain Nagel knows nothing about it. Huh? But you know about it. I picked Tarangi up at sea, not ten miles from here, last night. You? Of all men. My own priest. I am Tarangi's priest, too. Could I, preaching the gospel of infinite love and the remission of sin by repentance, betray his trust in me? 
The laws of the state are one, the laws of God another. Where is he now? I don't know. I see. Well, good night, Father. I dare say it will please you to know that so far I can't find a trace of him. Captain Nagel, I want your boat again. But Delage... How soon will you be ready to sail? This is hurricane weather. The barometer indicates we're squarely on the track. Of what? Of whatever's coming. I'll not waste any more time. In the name of the government, I demand your boat. Well? Men can't argue with the government. I'll be ready whenever you are, Delage. the catapora, waiting the arrival of Captain Nagel, giving last orders to his crew. Through my porthole, I can see the great waves breaking white on the reefs. Something grim and terrible in the aspect of the sea. All my thoughts were through me. I've never left her like this before. The trouble is Come back. I thought you got away. Oh, it's too late. Didn't you see them? See what, Sarangi? The birds. The sky was black with them. They've all gone away from the island. What do you mean? Don't you understand? The great wind. The birds have gone because the great wind is coming. The great wind. The hurricane. That's why I came back to warn you and my people. Run. Seek shelter. All of this will go. This house too. The whole island. You must find shelter. Hurry. Hurry. My place is here in my church. But those who want to take refuge in the trees must leave now at Sarangi before it's too late. Madame Delage, you must come with me. Hold on to me. Hold tight. We'll get through somehow. Sarangi. May God bless and save you all.
You again, Tarangi. Oh, no, Marama, no. Tarangi, it isn't far to your island, your refuge. You've got a canoe. Why don't you go? We cannot leave you, Madame Delage. Oh. Not until they come. You must leave at once in the canoe. Once you're out of sight, you're safe. Tarangi, I beg you, please go at once. We shall do as you say, Madame. Germaine. Yes? Were you the only one? Yes, Eugene. Were there no others? No others. They were all washed away. I'm all alone. I was tied to a tree. It drifted here. All the others were lost. All the others. Take me back to the boat, Germaine. Germaine, you say you drifted in on a tree. It must have launched over the beach. Where is it? Uh, on the other side of the island. Take me back to the boat, Eugene. I have to report everything. I have to have a look at that tree. Eugene, don't leave me. I'm afraid. Yes? Look. Footprints on the sand. Footprints? A man. A woman and a child. Where? Well, footprints across the island. Down to the water. Eugene, please don't go. Don't leave me. You're only going to the top of the hill, my dear. Just a few yards. Please, please, come back. There's nothing one to moment. see. One moment. One moment, Jeanette. What's it, Tarangi? Yes, and Marama and the child. You'll see them from that hill. He can't help it. Eugene, please come back. I'm coming offshore. The water, something. Something dark. It's moving, is it? It's a there are three figures in it. Oh, it's nothing. I, I saw it. Eugene, it's nothing. It's only a floating log. Eugene. Now that you've seen... Eugene, you can tell now, can't you? That it's only a floating log? Yes, Jermaine. Let's go back to the ship. It's nothing. It's only a floating log. Mm-hmm. 
This concludes our Campbell Playhouse presentation of The Hurricane. In just a moment, Orson Welles will return to the microphone with our guest of the evening, Mary Astor. And that moment is really all the time I need to ask you just one question. Haven't you noticed over the years that with most families, the favorite soup when company comes to dinner is Campbell's tomato soup, served as cream of tomato made by adding an equal quantity of milk instead of water? I'm sure you have observed this, and so I'd like to remind you again to enjoy this soup, not just for company meals, but for family lunch or supper. Truly, you'll find it a revelation in how fine a cream of tomato can be. Smooth as velvet, deep and rich in flavor, and, of course, extra nourishing. Now, wouldn't a glowing plateful of Campbell's tomato soup served as a luscious cream of tomato taste good to you at lunch or dinner tomorrow? And now I see Orson Welles is ready with Mary Astor. Well, ladies and gentlemen, now of two and one half minutes since the hurricane blew itself out, and I'm happy to report that peace has been restored in studio number one. I also want you to know that the height of the big wind, the wind that blows the islands out of the sea, no one was braver or calmer than our guest of the evening whom we are so glad to welcome back to Campbell Playhouse, Miss Mary Astor. Thank you, Orson Welles, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. However, there's good reason for her calm, ladies and gentlemen. This is not Miss Astor's first hurricane. No, indeed. The, uh, the part of Madame Delage, which she played with us tonight, is the part she created in the picture hurricane. And of that hurricane, the hurricane that director John Ford stirred up on Mr. Samuel Goldwyn's back lot some two years ago, stories are told that will never be forgotten. I wonder, Mary, you perhaps could bring yourself to tell us a few of the terrifying details. Well, that hurricane, Orson, lasted not three minutes, but three months. Ten hours a day of wind and driving rain and Miss flying Astor, please go on. <laughs> well, what would you like to hear? About the time I was submerged for 90 seconds in eight feet of water or the time I fell 30 feet out of a tree? A tree sounds great. Tell us about that. Well, if you remember just now in our story, Tarangi lashed me to the branch of a great tree. The tree was carried out to sea and I survived. Correct. Well, in the picture, that branch was about 30 feet off the ground. When the waves hit the tree, that branch broke suddenly and started with me on it, head down towards the concrete floor 30 feet below. What happened then? I just went sailing down. It was a fine sight. Most convincing, everybody said. Yes, but... The uh... cameras went on right on grinding. Director Jack Ford chewed up two handkerchiefs, and everybody was delighted. But what happened to you, Mary? Oh, me? Well, luckily, studio trees are partially made of wires, and those wires kept me from falling completely. <laughs> After a while, some of the crew came over and cut me free with pliers and things. But nobody worried very much because by that time, there were five or six people drowning in the tidal wave in front of the church. Uh, thank and... you very much, Miss Mary Astor. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, after that, I think you will all agree with me that we are very, very lucky to have Miss Astor with us here tonight. And I assure you, I'm very, very glad to be here. Good night, Orson. Good night, Mary. And please visit us very soon again. Tonight's Campbell Playhouse production of Hurricane, Orson Welles played the part of Eugene Delage. Germaine Delage was played by Mary Astor. Father Paul was played by Ray Collins. Everett Sloan was Captain Nagel. Edgar Barrier, Turangi, and B. Benaderet, Murama. The part of Mako was played by Eric Burtis. Music for the Campbell Playhouse is arranged, conducted, and in part composed by Bernard Herman. And now, Mr. Wells, if you please, a word about next week's story. Certainly, Mr. Chappell. Next Sunday, ladies and gentlemen, we'll offer you that most 
celebrated of latter-day murder mysteries, the murder of Roger Ackroyd. In the 13 years that have elapsed since Mrs. Christie's work was first published, it's been read, re-read, and imitated more, I believe, than any other work of its kind. And by the standards of present-day murder mysteries, to be sure, the murder of Mar Roger Ackroyd has one rather important defect because it has only one murder. But beginnings must be begun somewhere. If you enjoy this frugal, solitary murder, which, after all, is surely better than none, we will try for more and better murders in the future. For our guest star, we have an actress who is known and loved by you all. An actress who is the mainstay of more motion pictures a year than you can count on the fingers of your two hands, the inimitable Edna May Oliver. And so until then, until next Sunday, and the murder of Roger Ackroyd, my sponsors, the makers of Campbell Soups, and all of us from the Campbell Playhouse, remain obediently yours. <laughs> Campbell Soups join Orson Welles in inviting you to be with us in the Campbell Playhouse again next Sunday evening when we bring you the celebrated mystery, The Murder of Roger Ackroyd, with Edna May Oliver as our guest. Meanwhile, if you've enjoyed tonight's Campbell Playhouse presentation, won't you tell your grocer so tomorrow when you order Campbell's tomato soup? This is Ernest Chappell saying thank you and good night. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. In 1939, Campbell Playhouse, one of the more recognizable themes of old-time radio, especially from the 1930s. But what was the theme going out? I don't know. I think that was definitely, it sound, had sort of a Hawaiian flavor to it. Mm. Well, I think I'm going to go, speaking of out. Okay. Go to sleep. Or be, be safe tomorrow. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. I should have no problems. There's no rain scheduled for where I'm going to be, and it's going to be actually warmer than it is here. Hmm. Well, if you have nothing to do, maybe we'll have you on a little bit tomorrow night. Just depending. Yeah, I have no clue as to what's going on tomorrow yeah. night. Yeah. You should have yeah. good internet connectivity in the hotel. We'll see. Don't know. Don't know. We'll see. Okay. Yes, now we'll blame it on Marriott. <laughs> you are yeah. staying in a Marriott hotel, right? I'm staying at a Fairfield Inn, so I will try and remember to bring my little... Not staying uh, at Hilton or, or Holiday Inn or any of those hotels? Are you done? Are you done? <laughs> yeah. You've been dead a long time ago. So I'll try and bring my little microphone with me so that it sounds good. It never will. It won't sound bad. So we'll see. I don't bring, know your, uh, bring your headset, too, in case you need it. Well, I'm, no, I'm going to bring my little headset USB microphone. Yeah, but, I mean, you can't listen to your phone without a headset. Oh, I'll have another little headset with me. 
It's already in my bag. Oh. Yeah. So you guys will continue on, play other shows, do other things, and I'm going to bed. All right, Larry. Be good. Be good. Well, no. No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> but I will talk to you tomorrow. All right. Day out, trouble. Good night. And it is roughly almost 10 before 10. John and I are holding on to fort. If you'd like to give us a call, you can at 714-545-2071. We are on Stormwatch. Any update, John? Can you give us a weather update out there? I know that it picked up some strength as it moved along to almost making sure, so which they, they suspected it would. So it'll probably be a Category 4 when it officially mm. says hello to Florida. The breadth of it, though, is pretty amazing if it's covering 500 miles or something. I think it's a 3 now, but mm. it'll, it'll become a 4 again when it comes to Florida. So what would you like to hear? X minus one, gun smoke. What did you put in the box? Uh, escape. Oh, let's let's do Escape's Typhoon. That's okay. That's a good show. But uh, that's not really a hurricane. No. They say it's the opposite of a hurricane. I mean, you could do gun smoke. Yeah. Win. Let's hear Typhoon because it is a little different. It's a little different. Yeah. Okay. That'll probably be my last show. We'll see. Okay, I'm going again. See you in 30 minutes. Because you'll be there again. You'll have something Jaws to say. Professional Saturday Night 9917 folder. Saturday Night 9917 folder. Explorer pane. Folder layout. Windows M. Desk D. Downloads D. Dropbox short. Enter. Drop. Mom. Gas. Enter. Drop. Escape. For CBS Radio Workshop 5. Select. Selected. Cut. Windows M, Desktop M, My Documents, Enter, Docket 4S, Saturday, Enter, Sat Gunsmoke 53, Pasted. Moving two items from Gasman and Hughes to Saturday Night 9917 folder, one item moved. Pause the operation, CBS, Escape 470728004, Typhoon. Unloading job, can't, okay, Enter, Saturday Night 99. Escape. Escape tonight to the China Seas in Typhoon. The Columbia Broadcasting System and its affiliated stations presents Escape, a new series of programs of which this, the fourth, is Typhoon by Joseph Conrad, produced and directed by William N. Robeson. Of all the great authors who wrote of the sea, none so captured the wonder and the horror of it as did Joseph Conrad. Tonight, we escape to the China Seas in his great story, Typhoon, told in the words of a certain Mr. Jukes, chief mate of the China coast steamer Nan Shan, a young man of very remarkable perceptions.
I've been sailing the China Sea long enough to see some strange and terrible things, but nothing as bad as that was. Why, God himself forgot us, and the whole blinking universe set out to do us in that night. It was the... Oh, but that comes later. I guess you can't really understand what happened on board the Nan Shan without knowing something about our skipper, Captain McWhir. Stupid McWhir, I called him. And after sailing with him for three years, I ought to know what I'm talking about. Why, I tagged him right off, first day he came aboard to take command. In Liverpool it was, and Mr. Siggs, who was one of the owners, was showing him around the deck. There's no more modern ship afloat. <laughs> I might say again that you've come to us very highly recommended, Captain McWhir. We've a great deal of confidence in you. Uh -huh. Thank you, Mr. Siggs. She's a brand new ship and a good ship. There's no reason why you shouldn't continue in command of her as long as you like. Hmm, well, that's, uh, that's fine. She'll be the smartest thing afloat in the China trade. Why, <laughs> she's put together like a Swiss watch. Precision built from stem to stern. Wait, the... uh, just a minute, Mr. Singh. What is it? That lock. Uh, lock? Uh, what lock? Here, on the cabin door. Uh, what about it? You'll notice how it's been set in the frame, somewhat cocked at an angle. The ship starts rolling a bit, and the first thing you know, it snaps open and leaves the door swinging. It really should be fixed, Mr. Siggs. That's Captain McWhir, the best berth he'd ever had. New command, a brand new ship. But instead of pinching himself to see if he's awake, he complains about a lock on the cabin door. See what I mean? Well, I, I see what you mean. I'll have it attended to right away. I, I think you'll do all right. Ah. Thank you, Mr. Siggs. Well, everybody knows what the China coast is. You haul out of Bangkok for a quick run up to Singapore and then shove off for Hong Kong. Two days ashore, you do it all over again. Three years of it. Three years of heat, smells, weather, copra, silk, and tea. Along in there somewhere, the owners decided to transfer the ship's registry to the Siamese flag. Don't ask me why. They just did, that's all. Anyway, I can tell you I didn't like it. When you grow up under the Union Jack, you figure to go on sailing under it. Not that the skipper, of course, could understand that kind of a feeling. Oh, no. Not old stupid McWhirk. <clears throat> Aye? What is that, Mr. Jukes? They uh, just sent the new flag out from shore, sir. Here it is. Oh, fine, fine. Unroll it. Let's have a look. Ah, yes. In my opinion, sir, it's a queer kind of flag for a man to sail under. Oh? And what's the matter with it? Well, it uh, just looks queer to me, that's all. Well, now, let's see. A white elephant on a red field. Oh, just a minute. I'll look it up in the book. Hmm. Yeah, here we are. Siam. White elephant on the field of bright red. Length exactly twice the breadth. So. Well, there's nothing wrong with this flag, Mr. Jukes. Oh, isn't there? Not a thing. I hardly thought there could be. After all, these people ought to know how to make their own flag. It stands to reason. Does it now? You must have it confused with some other flag, Mr. Jukes. Well, all I can say of is... Of course, you'll have to take care of the seamen don't hoist the elephant upside down. 
That is, before they're quite used to it. I, I, I presume it might be taken for a signal of distress. And in that case, uh, well, the way I see it, that elephant stands for something like the nature of a Union Jack in the British flag. Oh, you think so? Well, it's like a bloomin' Noah's Ark, that's what it is. Mr. Jukes. I'm sorry, sir. I can't see where the color of a flag could anywise affect the navigation of a ship. I'd... Uh... All right, sir, I'll instruct the hands. It'd certainly be a most distressful sight to see that elephant hoisted upside down. Well, that was Captain McWhirr. Couldn't get a thing through his head if you drew him a picture. And that's the skipper we had to sail under on the maddest, wildest trip that any coaster ever took. We were loading out in Singapore. Half the cargo had already come aboard. The sun was blazing and the smoke from our stacks hung over the decks like a blanket. The Nanshan's winches puffed away aft. The cargo chains creaked and clattered across the combings. I was in the waist supervising the loading when Mr. Rout, the chief engineer, came up. Hey there, Jukes. What's going on down there on the dock? Looks like a blooming army. I don't know, Mr. Rout. Must be a mob of coolies on the move. Uh, Here comes the captain. Could be some of his doing. Uh, Mr. Jukes. Aye, sir. Keep the forward queen deck clear of cargo. There'll be 200 coolies coming aboard, and we'll plan to bunk them down there. Good Lord, where are they bound? Fu Chow. We'll have to put in there this trip. Yeah, but we're not fixed to handle passengers, sir. Oh, they'll bring supplies aboard with them. Every man's got a camphor wood chest, so you'll have to nail deck buttons down there to keep them from sliding. Yes, sir, I'll see to it. I've all been working on a plantation north somewhere. Two-year contract. They're dying to get home. It wouldn't have been quite right to turn them down. You may as well start them coming aboard, Mr. Jukes. All right, sir. Ollie number one, boy, Ollie same. Listen, you savvy, huh? Ollie fellow, catch him here, top side, catch him, step, step, bottom side, Ollie time, chop, chop. Single file now, one fellow, one time, all the time. What do you suppose they carry in those boxes? Oh, I suppose their personal belongings, Mr. Jukes. And, of course, their two years' pay in silver dollars. Well... They're as vicious a looking bunch of murderers as I've ever seen. Murderers? Oh, come now, Mr. Jukes. One or two of them, maybe. But in the main, I'd say they're honest workmen. Have to be to stick out a two-year contract on one of these plantations. Just the same, sir. We'd better not take any chances. Oh, I checked the lading weights carefully, Mr. Jukes. We can carry them without any overloading at all. I mean that... All right, sir. I'd better go hide the silverware in the officer's mess. Hmm... He's a hard lad to understand sometimes. I could say I had a premonition right then, and I wouldn't be lying. Anyway, that's how it started. At the hottest time of the year, 200 half-civilized coolies aboard, a captain with no more imagination than you could stick in your ear, we steamed out from Singapore and laid a course for the port of Fu Chau. Tell you, Jukes, I don't like it. I don't like it a bit. Well, what don't you like about it, Mr. Rowe? Well, the looks of things. Something ominous about it. 
Oh, there's a bit of a swell running all right. There's not a breath of wind. It's uncommonly hot, that's all. It gives a man the jumps. <laughs> You're as bad as the second mate. He's been groaning around like the voice of doom all day. Well, uh, Mr. Jukes! Mr. Jukes! Oh, that's the old man. I'll see you later. Uh, keep your steam up, Mr. Ralph. Are you calling me, Captain? I was, Mr. Jukes. Uh, what was all the long conversation with Mr. Rout? Oh, I, why nothing much, sir. I, I didn't see any harm in talking a bit. I'm not on watch, you know. Oh, no, no, nothing wrong with it, nothing at all. I just wondered what you could find to talk about. Well, uh, different things, I don't know. I've seen people on shore sit around the table and talk for two or three hours. I never could understand it. It's just conversation, that's all, about nothing in particular. Mm, seems pretty silly. Well, you've noticed the barometer, no doubt. Yes, sir, it's dropping. Falling fast. Quite low now. Take a look. I'll say it's dropping. Bad time of the year for that sort of thing. Very bad. Anything you want me to do, sir? Oh, no, no. Must be some uncommonly dirty weather knocking about somewhere. Eh, hey, Mr. Jukes? Yes, sir. Well, that's all. Just thought you ought to know about it, that's all. Uh, carry on, sir, carry on. Oh, there's a heavy one, all right, mate. Them coolies must be having a time of it down below. Lucky for them, the old girl rolls easier than any ship I've ever seen. Hey, you just wait. Oh, you think we may be in for it, huh? Oh, no. I don't think anything. You're not going to make a fool out of me that way, Mr. Jukes. I didn't say a word. What's the matter with you, Second? Why shouldn't you say what you think if you're a mind of Oh, no. You don't catch me. Whoa, there's another one. That's pretty rough. Now, whatever is about, we're steaming right into it. Ha! <laughs> you just try telling the old man that. And why shouldn't I? Matter of fact, I think I'll ask him about this cross swell. It's getting worse all the time. I've known skippers to break some right good men for saying a whole lot less. Uh, Captain McQuarrie. Ah, uh, yes, Mr. Jukes. What is it? The swell is getting a good deal worse, sir. Yes, I noticed that in here. Anything wrong? Well, I, uh, I was thinking about the passengers. Huh? What passengers? Why, the coolies, sir. Then if you mean coolies, say coolies, Mr. Jukes. A man ought to say what he means. What about the coolies? She's rolling her decks full of water, sir. I thought you might want to put her head at the swell for a bit, until this goes down, of course. Hmm, so that's it, eh? Put her head at the swell, four points off the course. Well, it's just for a while, sir. A swell as high as this can't last long. That stands to reason. Mr. Jukes, take a look at the barometer. Good Lord. Yes, exactly. It's a dead calm outside, isn't it? There's not a breath of air stirring, sir. Only that cross swell. I've been reading in the book here about storms. It's a funny thing. If a man believed everything written down here, he'd spend half his life running to get behind the weather. If I was to go by what this fellow says, I'd alter my course and come booming into Fuchau from the north. Four days late, 300 extra miles in distance, and a pretty bill for coal on top of it. I'll tell you, Mr. Jukes, if I knew every word in here was gospel true, I couldn't bring myself to do that. No, sir, I guess not. And how's a man to know if the book is right? If you dodge around a spot of dirty weather, 
How do you ever find out it was there in the first place? Answer me that. No, Mr. Jukes, there's things that a man can't get from books. I've thought it all out this afternoon. We'll hold her steady as she goes. Whatever you say, sir, you're the captain. I guess I'd better write up the log. I'm going on watch. Good. I dare say we're heading into something a bit out of the ordinary. Call me at once if anything shows up in the night, Mr. Jukes. All right, sir. I'll see to it. And, uh, Mr. Jukes. Yes, sir. If you're going into the chart room, please close that blinking door. I can't stand here a door banging. Yes, sir. Eight p.m. Swell increasing. Ship laboring heavily and taking water on all decks. Still a dead calm and very hot. Batten down the coolies for the night. The barometer is still falling. All appearances indicate an approaching typhoon. All right, Hackett, hold her steady as she goes. That's all we can do. Hi, sir. I'll show try to. Well, do the best you can. Hi, hi, sir. Mr. Dukes. Mr. Dukes. Hi, Captain. I'm coming. Stand by. Over here, Mr. Dukes. Starboard bridge rail. Right, sir. Coming over. Uh, Mr. Dukes. Why didn't you call me? Oh, there was no warning, sir. It is all of a sudden, about five minutes ago, blasted right out of a dead calm. Mm, the book was right in some parts, anyhow. How's it go in the wheelhouse? Hack it is. Look out, sir. Hang on. What about Hackett? He's on the wheel. Second is putting up shutters. The window glass will go if she starts breaking any higher. Oh, she'll break higher, Mr. Jukes. Much That's a, higher. It's a happy thought. You haven't altered her course? No, sir. Heading straight at the wind. Good. Nothing else we can do, Mr. Jukes. Understand? Yes, sir. Some things a man can't find in books. Just keep her at it. That's all. Mr. Jukes, hammering through a mess like this, you're bound to leave something behind. Stands to reason. Hold hard. Ah. Oh, she's still rising, all right. That one broke over the wheelhouse. We're done for, for sure. What's that, Mr. Jukes? You say something? I said. Is there any chance at all, sir? Can she live through it? She may. We can hope so long, at least. She's a good ship. It's all a man can ask. What's that? Somebody yelling? It's below us on the foredeck, sir. Up here, starboard bridge. Man shouldn't be on that deck unless he has to. It's a bit dangerous. There, sir. Over here. What's the trouble, bosun? In Chinese, sir. Wait, hang on. The Chinese. What about them? They've all fetched away, sir. One big lump. It's horrible. Yeah, now what do you mean, fetched away? Rolling around in a hole in one big lump. Screaming like blooming maniacs, sir. All adrift. Mr. Dukes? Yes, sir. I can't make head nor tail of this. I guess you'd better go below and see to it. Put things in order. Well, well what shall I do, sir? 
I can't tell you up here. Find out what's wrong. Straighten it out, that's all. That's all. Take the bosun with you. I'm going to try for the wheelhouse. All right, sir. Come on, bosun. All right, sir. Just straighten it out, that's all. Well, how's the wheel stand, Hackett? As steady as she goes, sir. You realize, of course, we've hit a typhoon? Aye, sir. Sorry I can't give you relief. Can you manage a while longer? I'll hold her to the course, sir. As long as there's a ship beneath her. Ted, that won't be long. Oh, anything wrong, Sackett? Wrong! We're all as good as dead men, that's what's wrong. Oh, no, I wouldn't say that. She's still afloat. Ah. And we've got it lucky here on deck. Plenty of chance to see what's coming before it hits us. A man always feels better when he can see what's coming. But it's a different story down below there. Not having knowledge of what's going on. Not knowing if we're afloat or sinking. Now there's the lads that's got it tough. The ones down there in the engine room. Steam to drop. Here, ride that throttle field. Can't let her rip her shaft out when she breaks clear of those wells. Hello, Bridge. Hello, Bridge. Confound it, why don't they answer the speaking to them? Can't tell if they're dead or alive up there. Hello. Hello. Yes, Mr. Rout. Captain, how is it on deck? Bad enough. It depends mostly on you. Well, so far, so good. We're holding a full head of steam. Good. We'll need it. Don't let me drive her under, sir. Have to take a chance. Can't see 20 feet up here. Got to keep moving enough to steer. I understand, sir. Count on us. Getting smashed about a good deal, but doing fairly well. As long as the wheelhouse stands. Wait, wait, hold on. Hello, hello. Is that the captain, Mr. Rod? I've got to talk to him right away. Wait a minute, Jukes. Something's happened up there. Hello. Hello, Bridge. You still there, Mr. Rout? Right. Anything wrong, sir? No, not now. The second mate's lost, though. Overboard? Oh, no. Lost his nerve. Awkward circumstance. Had to knock him out, too. Too bad. You hear that, Jukes? Yes, let me talk to him. Captain, Jukes here. The bosun and I just took a look at the tween deck. It's them bloomin' boxes, sir. They've all broke loose and smashed to bits. And the coolies are fighting like crazy men for them silver dollars that's rolling around. Fighting? can't have fighting on board, Mr. Jones. There are 200 of them, sir. They're all trying to kill each other. I can't have it, Mr. Jones. Put a stop to it at once, do you hear? Put a stop to it? How? They're crazy mad. They'll kill anybody that came on that deck. You're second in command, Mr. Jones. Use your authority. Make it clear to them. We simply can't have fighting. Make it clear to them? Oh, yes, sir. After that, you'd better gather up all the money. I can't have it lying about on the deck. Get the bosun to help you. Wait, here it comes. Gee, Arsifat, there's the one that does it. That, uh, that must have swept the deck from stem to stern. Hello, hello, Captain McGuire. You all right up there? Everything's all right, Mr. Rout. All the boats and half the starboard rail carried away. Nothing serious. There's nothing to worry about, Mr. Rout. Carry on. Nothing to worry about? Carry on. <laughs> Hey, you're all right, Captain. As you say, sir, carry on. Carry on? Hey, now, hey, now, where are you going? 
Where are you going, eh? Where do you think I'm going, you loudmouthed old windbag? Out on that deck to get myself murdered. <laughs> Nothing serious, Jukes. Nothing to worry about. The whole blooming world's falling apart, and I'm out picking up silver dollars. Captain's orders. Come on, Bosun. <laughs> Don't miss any old jukes. Carry on, boy. Carry on. <laughs> No help for it. Our gallant skipper says to stop the fighting. Use our authority. All right, then, quiet down. Come on, bosun. Aye, sir. Stow it there, you fools. Cut it out now, do you hear me? Authority, huh? You're clean out of their heads. We gotta drive them to the bulkhead. Back up, now. Hey, none of that. Stay to it, bosun. You gotta show them what for. Nothing else to do. Back up there. Captain's orders, you know. Follow me, boss. I was just thinking, sir. Oh, yeah, what about back there? No fighting allowed. Skipper's orders. I was just thinking. Oh, you don't. What if me old lady could see me now? Uh, she'd say, oh, you jolly sailor lad. Keep over there. Jam him up, boss, and into the bulkhead. Captain, where are you, Captain? Over here, Mr. Jukes. Uh, you got everything cleared up down below? Oh, oh yes, we we took care of everything, sir. I thought you would. The wind fell all at once, stopped cold. It's been like this for ten minutes now. If you uh, think it was an easy job to bring that mob under control... Uh, the coolies? Oh, I dare say it wasn't. Had to do what's fair by them, though. Uh, Mr. Jukes... That barometer in there stands at the lowest point I've ever seen a glass in my life. You mean there'll be more of it? The worst yet, according to the book. It'll break sudden now. Any minute. A puff or two of wind, and then it hits. She's taken a horrible beating, sir. She has indeed. And she's in for a worse one. We haven't much chance, have we, sir? She may come through it. She's a good ship. There's the first puff. Mm, it'll hit us hard when it comes. You left them pretty safe, did you? The coolies? We strung lifelines, gives them something to hold on to. Good. I'd like to give them all the chance we can, whatever happens. Oh, they'll be all right, sir. I broke out rifles for eight of the crew, put them to guarding all the companionways leading off the team deck. You armed the crew, Mr. Jukes? Oh, sure. We won't have any trouble with them now, sir. Mr. Jukes, please have those rifles returned to the magazines at once. What? There'll be work for every man aboard in a few minutes. I can't spare seamen to stand around and hold rifles when it isn't necessary. Isn't necessary? Don't you realize those savages will think we stole their money? Why, they'll tear us to bits if they ever get out of that deck. Oh, I think they'll understand we're dealing fair by them. Collect the rifles, Mr. Duke. Captain, it's suicide. The best thing we can do is turn the whole mess over to the authorities and Fu Chow. If we ever get there... Well, I don't know. I figure that when anything happens on shipboard, it's up to me to settle it on shipboard. Part of the duties of commanding a vessel, Mr. Jukes. I've no doubt I'll be able to reach an understanding with these men later. Understanding? You ought to have seen him a while ago when me and the bosun was down there. Lost their heads a bit, I guess. No wonder at that when... Here she comes. Pick up those rifles, Mr. Jukes, and something else. Yes, Captain. If anything happens to me, you'll be in charge. Only advice, keep her facing it. 
Best way to get through, facing it. That's enough for any man. All right, Captain, I'll remember. But one thing more, Mr. Jukes. Yes, sir. Something that always helps at sea is to keep a cool head. Just keep a cool head. Oh, no, keep a cool head. A stitch in time saves nine, a rolling stone. What in the name of heaven do you do with a man like that? It was a clear blue sky and bright sunshine the morning we steamed into Fu Chow Harbor. Mr. Rout was leaning on a hatch combing, smoking a pipe. The bosun lounged on the foredeck, waiting to pick up a line from the wharf. And the captain? Well, he was engaged in a most unusual right. occupation. Keep moving. He was sitting at a table on the foredeck, handing out silver dollars to them blinking coolies. All divided up even, the same amount to each one. Craziest thing you ever heard of in your life. You see, the way the captain figured it, since those blighters had all worked for two years at the same rate of pay, then their savings ought to all be about equal. As you can see, of course, that wasn't necessarily true by any means. wasn't even legal. But you couldn't tell him anything. Well, that's that. Uh, Mr. Jukes. Yes, sir. Coming, Captain. Well, Mr. Jukes, I've disposed of our little collection of silver dollars. Now, that's great. Only wait till those boys get ashore and file claims against us. Oh, no, they won't do that. As a matter of fact, they were quite pleased at having it arranged that way. Figured it might avoid a lot of arguments later. They, uh, they sent a spokesman to thank me. Well, I'll be... Mr. Jukes, you may as well give all the hands six hours leave before we start working the cargo. Whatever you say, Captain. Oh, yes, and uh, before the carpenter leaves, I wish you'd have him fix the lock on that port cabin door. What? That seems to have got broken somehow. During the storm, I suppose. I, I can't stand to hear a door banging, Mr. Jukes. Aye, sir. I, um... I don't suppose it matters that the ship is battered from stem to stern, half her topside carried away, and smashed till she looks like a bloomin' tinson freighter. Mr. Jukes, I don't understand you. You don't understand me, sir? Do you understand that we've come through the worst typhoon on the China Seas in 20 years? We're the only ship that got through? It's true. I suppose we were a bit lucky. Lucky, sir? With 200 murdering cutthroats running loose aboard and the very heavens doing their worst? We had a job to do and we did it. That's all, Mr. Jukes. That's the important thing. Yes, sir. That's, uh, that's all. That's all, he says. A job to do. A bit lucky. What can you do with a man as thick as that? But then, as I started to turn away, Captain McWhirr said something else that surprised me. With emotion wrung from the very bottom of his soul, he he uttered words I never thought I'd hear coming from so, so stupid a man. But I'm glad we brought her through, Mr. Jukes. Truly I am. She's a good ship, Mr. Jukes. A good ship. I should have hated to lose her. I, I should have hated to lose her. <laughs> Typhoon by Joseph Conrad was adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield and produced and directed by William N. Robeson with Frank Lovejoy as Jukes, Raymond Lawrence as Captain McQuirr, 
and Cy Kendall as Ralph the Engineer. The special musical score was conceived and conducted by Cy Fewer. Escape is presented by the Columbia Broadcasting System and its affiliated stations each week at this time. Next week, we invite you to escape to Paris of 500 years ago in Robert Louis Stevenson's story of a fascinating adventure, The Sire de Maltois Door. And so, good night until next week at this time, when again it will be time to escape. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Typhoon Escape. Pretty good show. They did a lot of literary stuff in the early days. Very much so, yeah. A series that was not too well remembered during the time of the Golden Age, who I think the collectors have probably put it on the map. It, it, it almost came along too late mm-hmm. because people were doing other things in, in the late 40s, early 50s. That is so true. We still got a few more choices to make. From X-1 to CBS Workshop. Was it Columbia Workshop? I can't remember. And Gunsmoke. Uh, CBS Ready Workshop. Okay. And then Gunsmoke. So those are the three. So, John, you can, you picked them out. Which ones should we go with next, do you think, when, when we go to a show? Oh, do Gunsmoke. And okay. then I think I'm going to fade away because i am got to get up. So You're going to read them all at church? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And have you guys gotten back together in your breakfast group? I did not today because I had a, a dentist appointment today, mm. so, but I will next week. So how was the dentist appointment today? Well, it was all right. It was a, you know, first time in a long time they had to fill one small cavity, but mm. other than that, it was fine. didn't take long. Yeah. You were home pretty quickly to think about it, so... Yeah, they told me at the end, okay, your mouth is a little numb, so before you get out of the chair, we want to say you, hear you say three times, yesterday USA, yesterday <laughs> USA. And I did, and they let me go home. Uh, well, you got some ice shows coming up here fairly soon, don't you? Yeah, October 4th. Uh, I went for a follow-up on Friday, and I have to do my physical exam beforehand. Just to clear everything. And then uh, October 4th. Is it going to be painful? What do, you, what do you know about the recovery part of it? Uh, it might be a little painful. They've, uh, you know, they're going to be doing surgery on the eyelid. So yeah. I'll have ice on it for three days. But I'll, you know, I'll be off, I'll be off work for a week or so. Okay. Actually, I could go back on that Monday. But she wants me to come in Tuesday to get my stitches out. So why should I go back for one day? Might as well take that extra day and just relax. And so I'll be out for a week and come back on Wednesday. So that's what I'm going to do. You got any more barbershop rehearsal for Disney coming up pretty soon? Is that been scheduled? Uh, We have candlelight rehearsals coming up. They have one more audition. And then the, the first official rehearsal is the 21st. And then the quartet has to get busy and do some work work for 
rehearsal because we have a com competition coming up in late April, late October. So do you have to do, do you have to go through the audition process, or have you guys, have those of you've been doing it for all these years, the candlelight, have they let you skip through that part of it? Yeah, those of us who have been around for a while don't. Now, if you miss a year, then you have to go back and do it again. Mm -hmm. But as long as you continue to perform on the stage and not miss any rehearsals and stuff, then, then you're exempt from having to audition. All it really is is the director wants to hear the voices mm -hmm. briefly. And he's heard a lot of us before. Plus, you know, with three or 400 people, that's a lot of listening to do. So this allows him to cut it down to some of the newer people. Three or four hundred. That's a pretty amazing sight to think about. To have that many voices involved in a show. It's yeah. It's two choruses. It's in terms of the rehearsal time. It's it's those of us at the resort, and then people at the studio, and we all get together at least once mm -hmm. to rehearse. And then there are four shows for Disneyland Candlelight, and they divide you up, so you only do one show because there are too many people. And so they divide you into fours. And so everybody gets a chance to do one show. So you know ahead of time who that I'm assuming you'll be rehearsing with the same group that you'll be doing the show with, right? Well, we all the dis, all the resort people reserve, rehearse together. Okay. But I don't know who I'll be singing with, no. Because I would think the director would want to know what, what voices match the which. That way, in his mind, he's going to know how he got all four shows lined up. No, they actually mix everybody up so that hmm. basses and tenors and sopranos and altos sing together. They match you up by height so that you all are, uh, you know, usually the taller people are, are below. Mm -hmm. So it works out pretty well. Yeah. Christmas is coming pretty quick. Yep. Yeah. It certainly is. Well, it's almost 1030, and I think it's time to send you, get you off to bed. That way you get you do a little reading or whatever before you guys get tomorrow cranked out. So. All right. Well, I will. If once, When I get home, I'll let you know. I don't, I don't know what time I'll be home from the, the barbecue. My uh, My nephew and his wife are having a baby, and it's kind of a get together and you put five bucks in and you guess whether it's going to be a boy or a girl and then, <laughs> and then you also eat and drink and stuff so it'll be a lot of fun well fine it, 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 nothing like getting together with the family so if we yeah, get if true. we get if we get you we'll get you if we don't we'll get you next weekend so whatever yeah we'll get played by you john sounds good okay get some sleep good night all right talk to you tomorrow you hopefully hopefully all right, we'll go with Gunsmoke, everybody. Thank you, John. So, let's see here. Jaws Professional, Saturday, items view, escape for Gunsmoke, 53062, unloading, can't, okay, enter, Saturday night, 99. Okay, what's your prayer, Lord? Look after our friends and family and Patricia during the hurricane the next several days. Watch the country, help us, help the rescuers, help the, uh, the, the lives that might be in danger, Lord. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Here we go with Gunsmoke.
around Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gunsmoke, starring William Conrad, the story of the violence that moved west with young America, the story of a man who moved with it, Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. boxes of 45. All right. And, uh, I'm a little short of rifle ammunition, too, Mr. Witherspoon. Well, let's see. You still use that 44 Henry, don't you, Marshal? Yeah, that's right. And how many? Oh, a couple of boxes will do. Ah, right, here we are. Thank you. All right, Chester. What about you? Any fresh tobacco come in, Mr. Witherspoon? Yes, sir. There. One caddy or spit of drowned tobacco. That's all. Uh, say, uh, could I owe you for this, Mr. Witherspoon? I've had just about the one unluckiest month I ever knew. You fellas will never learn, will you? How to charge you interest, that's what. Well, I, I won't take it if you'd rather it didn't. <laughs> Don't be a fool. Of course you'll take it. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Witherspoon. But you stay away from those gambling halls. You can lose more money than your money there, you know. Uh, you heard about the killing at the Texas Trail last night then, huh? I did. Where were you, Marshal? Well, I've been away, Mr. Witherspoon. I just got back this morning. Mm, nobody told me. Then I take it the man who did the shooting has got clean away. Oh, it wasn't a murder, Mr. Witherspoon. I looked into it. He acted purely in self-defense. Ah. That's what all the witnesses said, Mr. Witherspoon. Just another case of men being ruined by good whiskey and bad women, that's all. Well, there was a girl mixed up in it, all right. Huh? Who, Chester? A new girl, Mr. Dillon. Calls herself Dolly Varden. She's caused nothing but trouble ever since she got here. But what do you mean? I don't exactly know, sir. Something to do with the gambling, though. Oh. And then she'll cause more trouble. Uh... Chester, I think I'll drop by there. All right, sir. Uh, take my cartridges to the office, will you? Yes, sir. Be glad to, Mr. Jones. Uh, you had an unlucky month, too, Marshal? What? You ain't paid me. <laughs> I'm sorry. There you are. <laughs> oh, thank you, Marshal. Good day. Good day, Mr. Witherspoon. Mr. Witherspoon? Hello, John. Oh, hello, Marshal. Ah, hello, Matt. Kitty. Did you have a good trip? 
Oh, successful anyway. Tell us, sit down. Yeah. Well, I guess you heard about the killing last night, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Kitty. Huh? Who is this Dolly Varden? Oh, I don't know, Matt. She says she's from St. Louis, but she is the luckiest thing I ever saw. Oh? Mm-hmm. Does she gamble? No. No, she says that'd spoil it. She's just lucky for other people. How? Whoever she's with, he wins. It's real simple. Oh, and they cut her in to stand by them, is that it? Yeah. You never saw anything like it, Matt. She goes from man to man, whoever pays her the most. But they figure it's worth it, huh? Yeah, they sure do. Unless she's with a man, he, he just doesn't seem to win. So, naturally, in time, they offer her practically anything to stay with him. Yeah. Oh, she's made a lot of money here. Which game, Kitty? Farrell. Only Farrell. Mm-hmm. She says it wouldn't work with anything else. Does anyone walk out ahead of the game? No. No, not from what I've heard. Everybody's losing sooner or later. If they can't afford Dolly, they go on trying anyway. And the fight starts over one man offering her more money than another, is that it? Well, that's what happened last night. Matt. Who's running the Pharaoh game? Oh, that's Frank Paris. Oh, oh yeah. I, I don't remember him. Well, he came here a few days after Dolly did. That sounds like an old setup. Well, nobody's caught him cheating yet, Matt. And if he and Dolly know each other, they're pretty smart about it. I've never seen them together once. Mm-hmm. Uh, where is Dolly now, Kitty? Upstairs. You want to meet her? Yeah. Uh, I'll go get her. Thank you, Kitty. She was on her way down, Matt. Uh, Dolly, this is Marshal Dillon. Hello, Dolly. How do you do, Marshal? Well, sit down. Thank you. Well, I, I'll uh, see you later, Matt. Yeah, sure, kid. <sighs> Tell me, Dolly, did you come here with Frank Paris? Well, I know. I got here before he did. Uh, sure, but that's not what I meant. What did you mean, Marshal? I hear you've got a lot of money for making a man lucky. Is that against the law? Only when it leads to trouble and killing. I'm not responsible for what these men do. No, but I am. Then why don't you do something about it, Marshal? That's why I'm talking to you. Go ahead, then. Talk. Have you been this far west before, Dolly? No. Well, you see, men out here settle their differences a little faster than they do back east. Most of them don't spend much time in towns. But when they do come in, if there's anything or anybody that smells like trouble, it seems like they always find it. What's all that got to do with me? You're trouble, Dolly. Man got killed last night because of you. I don't think I like you, Marshal. <laughs> You'll like me less when I run you out of town. <laughs> oh, you couldn't. I'll leave Frank Paris up to the men. If he's caught cheating, they'll shoot him. 
But I don't want any more killing because of you. You understand? No, I don't understand. Why should you think it's that I... It's simple, darling. I don't believe in luck, that's all. If I did, I'd have been killed a long time ago. Say, Mr. Dillon? Yeah. Now, I forgot to tell you. While you were over at the Texas Trail this afternoon, Doc was in looking for you. That was four or five hours ago, Chester. I guess it wasn't very important. No, sir, but I should have told you. Oh, uh, Matt. Oh, hello, Doc. Uh, I, I told him you were looking for him, Doc. Well, thank you, Chester. Thank What'd you. What'd you want, Doc? Well, Matt, I've been thinking. I got an idea. Yeah? That fellow that got shot last night, they buried him in his saddle blanket today. So? Well, that's no way for a man to be buried. Dodge ought to be ashamed of itself. This is a big town now. Well, how would you propose burying them, Doc? Why, in pine boxes, Matt. Any man deserves at least a pine box. Well, I agree. Well, that's my idea, Matt. I think we ought to form a sort of a committee and raise enough money to bury people properly here. Why, it's a disgrace this way. Well, now, Doc, I, I don't know. If we did that, everybody would want to come to Dodge to get shot. I got enough trouble as it is. Oh, I'm serious, man. <laughs> All right. All right. I'll contribute a dollar. Oh, now what's that? It sounds like somebody couldn't wait for one of Doc's pine boxes. Come on, Chester. Yes. Yes. You might as well come too, Doc. Uh, sure, Matt. I'm coming. Stop all this, Matt. I am, Kitty. Where is he? Dead on the floor over there. Oh, well, I better take a look at him. I meant, where's the man who killed him? Oh, Jack Singer there. But it was self-defense, Matt. Anyone can tell you. Jack Singer? Yeah. He's not a killer. I know. Was it Dolly again? Yeah, same thing. Where is she? Oh, I see her. Excuse me, Kitty. Dolly? Don't bother me, Marshal. I didn't shoot him. I warned you once, Dolly. They're grown men. I'm not responsible for them. There's a stage leaving Dodge at noon tomorrow. Be on it. What? Are... I'm sure you've got enough money for a ticket. And don't come back to Dodge. Ever. <laughs> sure, Marshal. Sure. Yeah. Well, sir, it lacks 15 minutes until noon, Mr. Dillon. Yeah. And it lacks Dolly Varden, too, Chester. Oh, she'll be along. Women don't never get any place ahead of time. Only two passengers have showed up so far. Maybe you should have run Paris out of town, too. Well, I don't like to do that. Just on suspicion. But I will as soon as somebody catches him cheating. If he lives through it. Mr. Dillon, maybe you try too hard to make the law look fair. Yeah, maybe. Now, anyway, here she comes. Mm-mm. She's not carrying any bags. No, she isn't. Coming this way. Yeah. Say, Marshal. Goodbye, Dolly. 
Oh, I didn't say goodbye. I said good day. What? I've thought it over, Marshal. I've decided not to leave after all. There's the stage, Dolly. Get on it. No. Get on it, Dolly. I said no. All right, if you... I'll have to... You're uh, what, Marshal? Now, get on the stage. Oh, it's no use yelling at me, Marshal. That's not going to do it. Oh? What is? Well, you'll just have to uh, throw me on it. Throw you on it? Yes. Your friend here might help. Chester, isn't it? Uh, yes, ma'am. Chester Proudfoot. I I'm glad to know you, Miss Dolly. I mean... Oh, shut I mean, up, I Chester. Yes, sir. Well, Chester could take my arms. You could take my feet, Marshal. Of course, it might be a little awkward getting me into the coach, but I'm sure you could manage it somehow. Oh, my, no, Miss Dolly. We can't handle a woman that way. Oh, goodness, no. No? Oh, no. Oh, then you'll have to do it by yourself, Marshal. Throw me over your shoulder. Or maybe drag me. You're wasting time, Dolly. It won't be easy, though. Because, Marshal, I'll scream and I'll cry and scratch and bite and I'll kick. Oh, how I'll kick. I'll be a mess when you get me there and I'll have the whole town out watching you be a hero. You're serious, aren't you? Of course you could hit me. You could knock me out with your fist or your gun. I wouldn't scream so much then. Gosh, Mr. Dillon. Well, Marshal... I'm tempted to put you on that stage no matter how, Dolly. But maybe there's another way to handle you. The best way to handle me is to leave me alone. And have more men get killed? If they're fools enough, what difference does it make? I don't think I could explain that to you, Dolly. But anyway, you remember what I said. You're through and dodge. Come on, Chester. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Gosh, Mr. Dillon, how are you going to get rid of her? I'm going to start by ruining her game, Chester. Yeah, but how? I'll show you. Right here at the Dodge House. Here? Yeah. Frank Paris stays here. Go find out what room he's in, will you? Yes, sir. Wake up, Lonzo. Oh, Chester. What room Frank Paris in? What room 10, Thank you. It's room 10, Mr. Dillon. All right. How do you know Paris lives here? Kitty. Oh. Oh, here it is. Marshal Dillon, aren't you? Yeah. I want to talk to you, Paris. Sure. Come in, Marshal. You too, uh, uh, Chester. Huh? That's right. Well, what can I do for you, Marshal? Paris, I told Dolly Varden to leave town on the noon stage today. Oh? She refused. I'd have had to force her physically to make her leave. Well, 
Why are you telling me this, Marshal? Because I thought I'd leave you alone, Paris, and let whoever caught you take care of you. But I've changed my mind. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about, Marshal. Don't you? No. No, I don't. Then just remember this. If Dolly Varden comes anywhere near your table from now on, you stop the play till she leaves. Is that clear? Now, look here, Marshal. I've got nothing to do with that woman. If you can't handle her, you've got no right wrecking my game trying to. I, I wouldn't have a player left if I started that. Paris, maybe I can't rough up a woman and run her out of town, but you're a man, and I won't even waste time arguing. You'll do as I say, or you'll leave. There's too much money in Dodge for me to leave, Marshal. It's the way I said, Paris. I won't even argue with you. Good day. We will return for the second act of Gunsmoke in just a moment. But first... America's finest men choose United States Army careers. These young Americans know that in the new regular United States Army, there is travel, education, good pay, good food, and all, yes, all the essentials of a full good life and fine future. These young Americans know that the finest technical schools in the world, the United States Army's technical schools, will provide them with increased skill and earning capacity, that they will earn while they learn and open opportunities for steady advancement in Army careers. There are thousands of these young people who have been picked by the Army who are proud of their country's uniform, and their country is proud of them. The recruiting officer at your nearest U.S. Army and U.S. Air Force recruiting station has the complete details. Remember, America's finest men choose U.S. Army careers. Now the second act of Gunsmoke. Quite a meal tonight. <laughs> Quite a meal. Yeah. Sure was, Doc. I was nearly starved, too. Yeah. Haven't had a meal like that since we got snowed in at Fort Fletcher a few years back. What do you mean, Doc? Well, one night, four of us were down to a quart of dried peas and a bottle of vinegar. <laughs> but by heaven, it made a better meal than Delmonico's puts out. Oh, Doc, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> Doc likes southern cooking, Chester. And any man who works hard deserves good food. <laughs> I'll let Chester answer that, Doc. Uh, when you're through, Chester, I'll see you at the office. All right, sir, I'll be along directly. So long, Doc. Bye, Matt. Marshal? Hello, Dolly. Mind if I walk along with you for a minute? All right. What's on your mind? Marshal, I'm sorry I behaved the way I did this noon. What? I shouldn't have done that. Just that I was so desperate, that's all. Desperate? About what? I've got to tell you. And I want to. 
But I can't out here in the street. Somebody will come by and then I'll be embarrassed. Here, let's just get around the corner out of the light. Please. Please, Marshal. Go ahead. What's this all about, Dolly? I, I was sort of hysterical this noon. You've got to forgive me. You've just got to. Now, don't <laughs> cry. Just tell me. I've been thinking about it ever since last night. I can't leave Dodge, Marshal. I don't have any place to go. Now, Dolly... Oh, don't make me go. Please. I promise I won't go near a gambling table again. I swear I won't. Well, it's up to you, darling. If you do that and don't cause any oh, trouble, right? Thank you, Marshal. Thank you. I promise. You'll see. Yeah, sure, I'll see. Please go now. I want to dry my eyes before I get out in the street again. Now stay away from Frank Paris, darling. Gun. All right, drop it. You mean you're going to shoot a woman, Marshal? I doubt it. Drop it. I will not. Give it to me. There. Well, you're quite a girl, Dolly. I'll kill you yet. You're going to jail. Huh? You're too dangerous to be loose woman or no woman. Put me down. You wrote. Where's Frank Paris, Kitty? He moved his table. It's beyond the bar. There. Oh. And that's him with his back to us, huh? Yeah. What's the trouble, Matt? You're mad about something. I just threw Dolly in jail. Now it's Paris's turn. You stay out of this, Kitty. Hey, come on. That's your... What's going on here? What's all this... Oh... Oh, it's the marshal. You're all through, Paris. And don't try anything. What's the trouble now, marshal? There's no woman near my table. And there won't be, not for a long time. Dolly Varden's in jail. What? She tried to shoot me a little while ago, and I threw her in jail. Oh, I see. Well, maybe she's better off there. She did cause a certain amount of trouble around here. She can't see it that way, Paris. She thinks it's all right to lock up a man, but not a woman. What's all this got to do with me, Marshal? You're going to jail, too. You can't arrest me. I'm not arresting you. There's no proof of anything against you. I got Dolly now on attempted murder, but nobody's caught you doing a thing. Come on, Paris, let's go. No. Oh, you just said it. You can't arrest You're me. going to jail, Paris. And tomorrow you're leaving Dodge. You're clever, but you're crooked. And Dolly's in it with you. 
That's all I need to know, proof or no proof. I should have stopped you the day I got back. I told you, Marshal, that there's too much money here. I don't want to leave. I'm not arguing with you. I just wanted everybody here to know about this. We were doing fine till you came back, Marshal. You're in the way now. Don't be a fool, Paris. I'll chance My hand! See, I got my hand! My hand! You're lucky I didn't kill you. Now you walk out that door. Doc will take care of you in jail. tickets, Mr. Dillon, all the way to St. Louis. Thanks, Chester. And here's your change, Mr. Paris. Give it to Dolly. Here, Miss Dolly. Thanks. I think I'd better count it, Chester. Oh, no, ma'am. I counted it. It's all there. <laughs> oh, I'm joking. I trust you. I'm not suspicious of everybody like the marshal here. Well, who wouldn't be suspicious? You both tried to kill him. Sure. But he trusts me now. Don't you, Marshal? I do. Well, you think I'm going to get on that train without making you throw me on it, don't you? No, I'm not sure. But I'll throw you on it if I have to. Yes, I know. You would now. I would. Why don't you shut up, Dolly? The Marshal could still bring us to trial if he wanted to. I know. Tell me, Marshal... Why didn't you? The judge is busy enough without my hauling in everybody who tries to shoot me. And besides, you've sort of had your wings clipped. How? Oh, Dolly, what's the use of lying to him anymore? He's talking about me. I may never be able to deal cards the way I used to with his hand. Right. It's the truth. But think about it, Dolly. There are quite a few people who manage to get along on an honest living. <laughs> I never knew how, but... We're going to have to find out. Well, there it is. Bye, Marshal. Chester. Bye. Yeah, bye. Marshal, I don't think I hate you as much as I did. Good. Dolly! Coming! So long, Dolly. Gunsmoke, under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were Virginia Gregg as Dolly, with John Daner as Paris, and James Griffith as Witherspoon. Harley Bear as Chester, Georgia Ellis as Kitty, and Howard McNair as Doc. Gunsmoke has been selected by the Armed Forces Radio Services to be heard by our troops overseas. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke.
lovely Dorothy McGuire, star of Broadway and Hollywood, will be heard on CBS Radio next Monday evening in a dramatic story entitled The Fall of Maggie Phillips. It's another in your Lux Summer Theater series, so be listening for it next Monday on most of these same stations. The Fall of Maggie Phillips, starring Dorothy McGuire. This is George Walsh speaking. Sunday night's Dick Powell is rough, tough Richard Diamond, private detective, on the CBS Radio Network. Jaws Professional Saturday Night X-15 Gunsmoke Escape 47 CBS Radio Workshop 56021 Loading Jaws OK Enter Enter Jaws Prophet Items v- Items View Campbell CBS Radio Enter Transcribe CBS Radio A division of the Columbia Broadcasting System And its 217 affiliated stations Presents The CBS Radio Workshop Radio's distinguished series Dedicated to man's imagination The theater of the mind Tonight, from Hollywood, a graphic and dramatic account of one of nature's most terrifying phenomena, Storm, from the famous book by George Stewart, adapted and directed by William N. Robeson, with William Conrad as narrator. Steadily, the great sphere of the earth spun upon its axis and moved in its unvarying course around the sun. From far off Venus, a watcher of the skies, if such a one can be imagined to exist, viewed it as a more brilliant planet than any to be seen by us earthmen. It gave no sign that storms or men disturbed its tranquil round. 
Bright against the black of midnight, or yellow in the dawn, the earth hung in the sky, unflickering and serene. San Francisco Weather Bureau. Fair tonight and Wednesday, no change in temperature. Moderate northwest winds. You're welcome. The same forecast, day after day, week after week. The junior meteorologists wanted to yell blizzards, thunder, lightning, and hurricanes. But as long as that high-pressure area hung off the coast, it would be the same. Fair tonight and tomorrow, no change in temperature. Now, this wasn't weather, it was a bore. And nothing on this morning's weather map could change it. Oh, there were storms, plenty of them, but always somewhere else. Sylvia, an old friend, was now over Boston, dumping a heavy fall of snow before she swept on across the Atlantic. Felicia, poor thing, wasn't doing too well. By all indications, she would die in the fastnesses of the Northwest Territory. But Cornelia, ah, the junior meteorologist, was proud of Cornelia. A big, full-bodied dowager of a storm. 400 miles at sea, southeast of Dutch Harbor. He'd known all of them since birth, days ago in the far western reaches of the Pacific. And it was his private pleasure to give them names. His eyes swept across the map down the arc of the Aleutians and the islands of Japan. And then he saw something he hadn't noticed before. A ship halfway between the weather stations of Haridoyashima and Titijima had reported a barometric pressure of 1011. Yet by its position, it should have been 1012. The temperatures of the ship and the weather station showed too wide a divergence. The wind forces and the directions were at variance. Cold air from the tundras of Siberia had met warm air from the coral atolls of the Southern Ocean. So he rerouted a section of the 1012 isobar, drew a little ellipse like a football around the figure 1011. Mariah. This one shall be Mariah. Proud city, San Francisco, set upon hills, pearl gray in the winter sun, swept clean of smoke and dust by the steady wind from the sea. A city of towers and banners standing out stiff in the northwest wind. In the streets of the city, women clutched at their skirts and men at their hats in the invigorating sun-filled breeze. And they greeted each other with sparkling smiles. Great weather we're having. Puts life in a fella. But out in the country, there was a drought in the vast central valley. The grain and the grasses curled by drought ceased growing. And the well-to-do cattlemen ordered cottonseed meal at the Fresno mills. And in Tehama County, a not-so-well-to-do cattleman received a polite but firm letter from his bank. And an hour later, in the barn, they found his body hanging. Good morning, sir. Good morning, sir. Is the map ready? Almost, sir. The last reports are just coming in over the teletype. Uh-huh. Nice little storm developing there west of Japan. You mean Mariah? 
Oh, you well, named them, too. It was just to myself, sir. It must be nice to be new to the game. I used to do it when I first came to work here. Oh, you did? Yes, I called them mostly after heroes I'd read about in history books, Hannibal and so forth. I remember General Lee developed into a terror, but Genghis Khan was a sizzle. Well, I've been using girls' names ending in IA, but I'm nearly running out. There's Felicia over Hudson's Bay... And Cornelia's still doing fine in the Gulf of Alaska. Where'd this Mariah come from? Incipient. Day before yesterday, north of Titajima. She'll be watching. You know the old saying. What's that, sir? The Chinaman sneezing in Shenzhen may set men to shoveling snow in New York City. Mariah did bear watching. Half as large as the United States, she rolled across the Pacific at a thousand miles a day. Yet nowhere did she touch land, so vast and empty is the great ocean between the Aleutians and Midway Island. All over the top of the world rested unbroken darkness like a cap. Through that polar night, the flow of heat into outer space was like the steady drain of blood from an open wound. As the air thus grew colder and colder, it shrank toward the surface of the earth. Upon every square mile of snow-covered land and frozen sea, the air weighed more heavily with the passing of each sunless hour. Hey, Chief, look at the report from Copper Mine this morning. What about it? 1032, up nine millibars from yesterday. And Fort Norman, 1035. That polar air mass is going to break out in Canada. Well, maybe yes, maybe no. Well, there's no place else for it to go. And when it does, Mariah won't follow Cornelia and Felicia and the others into the Gulf of Alaska. She'll keep coming straight for the coast. Chief, it's rain in 48 hours and plenty of it. Well, maybe yes, maybe no. Oh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, Chief. I guess I got carried away. Well, that's understandable. You haven't seen as many storms come across this map as I have. No, sir. But don't go throwing around any 48-hour guesses. Storms are hussies, at least in this part of the world. I've known lots of them. Uh, storms, that is. You can't trust them 12 hours out of your sight. San Francisco Weather Bureau. Hello. Uh, let me speak to somebody in authority, please. This is the chief forecaster speaking. Uh, this is Brownington Steamship Company. We got a ship in trouble. She just sent out an SOS. The Eureka related to us. Uh, what's the weather like out there? Can you give me her position? Uh, not exactly. The Eureka said she was six hours away. What ship is it? Uh, the Byzantium. In that case, we have it. She made a weather report two hours ago. She must have been all right then. Just a minute. Let me check. Well, for heaven's sakes, hurry. It's mostly a local crew. They've got wives and families in the Bay Area. We've got to notify I understand. Uh, here we are. From the Byzantium... Reported she had a nine-point wind. That'll be about 50 miles an hour. But it's going to get worse. In an hour, it'll be blowing a whole gale, 60 miles an hour anyway. For another hour, it'll be even worse than that, with gusts up to 70. It's a hurricane and a, a typhoon. Ah, look here. There's no sense in panicking. It's not a hurricane. It's not a typhoon. It's a storm, a very big storm. Make that clear to your people and to the newspapers. The Byzantium... We'll be through the worst of it in the next two hours. After that, it'll fall off. But there'll be lots of wind for 12 hours and a heavy sea after that. I see. Well, isn't there anything you can do about it? I'm afraid not. We report the weather. We don't make it. Yes, of course. Uh, thank you. Thanks very much. Well, son. Sir? 
You know, Mariah's a big girl now. A killer. From the Arctic islands and the ice flows of the Beaufort Sea, the polar air swept southward across the plains at 50 miles an hour, across Alberta and Saskatchewan. By noon, it engulfed Edmonton. Just before the winter sunset, Saskatoon and Calgary. At midnight, it crossed the border and invaded the United States. By daybreak, it had occupied much of Montana and North Dakota and was advancing on Minnesota, South Dakota, and Wyoming. But in San Francisco, the proud banners on the tall towers still streamed southeast in the winter sun. Continued fair today. No change in temperature. Got the map filled in, son? Yes, sir. Just finishing. How does it look here this morning? Well, I said yesterday it'd rain inside 48 hours. I say now it'll rain inside a 24 hours. Pretty sure of that, huh? Positive. Yeah, let me have a look. Uh-huh. Bill Mariah's come a long way in five days. Yes, sir. Look at that cold front east of the Rockies, right out of Canada. Just as I forecast. Did you forecast this, too? Hmm? What's that, sir? Part of your cold front slipped west across Alaska, far south of Seattle. Oh, well, uh, no, sir, I, I didn't expect that. Care to forecast the possibility of it continuing south? Well, sir, my guess is that Mariah will get here before it does. Son, in this game, you can't afford to guess. There are a lot of factors on this map that argue against rain. There's this cold front, there's the Pacific High, still has well, been for weeks. Uh, there's Mariah, and nothing's going to stop her. Chief. Yes, Chief. Whitey. Chronicles on the why, they want the forecast. Tell them I'll have it for them in ten minutes. You see, son, it's up to me. If I say that one word, rain, the weather forecast won't be in a box at the bottom of the front page. It'll be in boxcar letters in the headlines. That single word will be the biggest news story in California. Thousands of people will change their plans because of it. Hundreds of businesses and industries will adjust to it. And if it doesn't rain... But it's going to. It has to. Would you like to take the responsibility of guaranteeing it? Uh, but, sir... On the other hand, if I forecast fear and it rains, that mistake might mean millions of dollars lost and the illness and... Uh, death of more people than a man likes to think about. Yes, sir. Of course, it's possible that the Pacific High will hold, and it's possible that the polar air will get here before Mariah does. Uh, but, Chief... but it's not probable. And we must forecast probable, not possible, rather. Whitey, yes, Chief. get on the phone and order up storm warnings on the coast from Point Arena to Northhead. You, son, call the Chronicle and tell them we'll have the complete forecast in five minutes, but tell them to set the headlines and get ready. It's rain. Rain. The load dispatcher of power and light was ready for the electric heaters that would be turned on against the chill and the lights that would burn later in the morning and earlier in the evening. Somewhere in his maze of high and low voltage wires, his powerhouses and his dams, there would be trouble. But he was ready. Rain. The plant superintendent of the telephone company sent some extra men up along US-40 in case things went bad on the pass. Rain. 
The general manager of the railroad dispatched the assistant divisional engineer and the chief trainmaster to Immigrant Gap and Norton to take charge of track clearance in the pass. For rain on the coast, rain in the valley, rain in the motherlode meant snow on the pass. The pass, one of the five great gateways to California. The first covered wagons crossed the pass in 1844 from the high plateau of Nevada to the gravid valley of the Sacramento, where yet unsuspected, gold lay in the sands of foothill streams. 500 wagons crossed in 46, crossed safely. All but the last, the Donner Party. The snow caught them, and the horror of their story has imprinted their name upon the pass and brood still over peak and canyon like a legend of Greek tragedy. But today, gleaming streamliners glide between the snowy crags with 20th century ease. The transcontinental telephone carries chit-chat and the closing of deals, the word of birth and death, and the jokes and tunes of radio through the high canyons and over the summits. The great steel towers of the Power and Light High Line cut their wide path through the lodgepole pines and the tamaracks as they march with metal feet across the mountain. And feeling its way more subtly, following the contours of the convoluted land, is U.S. Highway 40, the all-weather road across the Sierras, one of the five great mountain gateways to California. Far out at sea, the crippled freighter Byzantium, her rudder jury rigged, made for Honolulu and repairs under a sunny sky. She had ridden out the storm, but she had lost her first officer overboard. Mariah was indeed the killer. And she announced her coming with a wave of pain. As she moved steadily shoreward, old lumberjack joints grown stiff in the dripping of redwood forests, twinged and throbbed. From Cape Disappointment to Point Arguello, overworked mothers winced with headaches. Nerve ends of leg stumps tingled. Old wounds of the Argonne and Guadalcanal ached again. In a moving belt 150 miles before the rain, renewed torches prevailed in the hurt and maimed limbs of men. First, so fine was the rain, it was as if the low-lying mist had merely swooped a little lower. And then for a moment, it was gone. But it came again. But it came again. Minute by minute, unhurrying. The rain grew thicker and more steady. East, east beyond the Sierras and the Rockies, the river of polar air swept on. Behind it, the snow-plastered houses of Cincinnati and Louisville, the quick frozen ponds of the Ozarks. In Abilene and Fort Worth and Dallas, they felt it now. 
and men battling their way along gale-swept streets reminded themselves. Between Texas and the North Pole, the only windbreak is a barbed wire fence. Rain will not harm a high-tension line. Snow will build up on it and then fall away of its own weight and bulk. But ice... At the 3,000-foot level in the Sierra the morning after the storm broke, neither rain nor snow fell from the turgid clouds, but sleet, sheathing the trees in bizarre robes of ice, coating the wires of the power and light's 60-kilovolt line until they were a half-inch thick, an inch, two inches, until the weight became more than copper cable could bear. load dispatcher. This is Ringo, substation operator. The French bar 60 kilovolt line just went out. Don't say just. When did it go? 902. Look, I'm replacing it from Two Rivers and Buckskin Dam. Thank you. The load dispatcher looked at his desk clock and noted with satisfaction that it was a little past 903. <laughs> I know I'm seeing it, but I just can't believe it. What's that, son? For this morning's map. It just isn't supposed to look like this. Storms should move from west to east between the high-pressure areas of the pole and the Tropic of Cancer. They do, in the textbooks. But it looks like El Mariah's trap. Well, that's what I mean, sir. Trap between that polar breakthrough over the plains and the one that came in over Alaska. Why, it could go on raining for days. And very well might. This is a miracle of electronics. This is the multiplex telephone cable, carrying two or three radio programs, half a dozen personal conversations, and several teletype messages. Six of these cables cross the Donner Pass, strung from pole to telephone pole. The central transcontinental lead between San Francisco and the East. <laughs> In 1579, the same year Sir Francis Drake landed on the coast of California, a cedar sapling sprouted on the lip of a ravine far up in the Sierra Nevada. It was, however, somewhat insecurely rooted, and in 1789, a half-century before the first immigrant let his wagons down the canyon walls with ropes, a windstorm toppled it. Its trunk has lain athwart the ravine ever since, decaying but little in the high, dry mountain air. But last fall, a chipmunk burrowing beneath it dislodged a pound or so of gravel and thus disturbed its delicate and ancient balance. And the weight of Mariah's snow finished the job. Now the log begins to roll, slides sidewise, upends and drops over the canyon's edge. A hundred feet below, it strikes squarely among the cross arms of pole 1-243-76 of the central transcontinental leaf. 
operator. Hello, operator. This is the operator. I've just been cut off from New York. I'm sorry, sir. The sorry's not enough. What's the matter with you people? Hold the line, sir. A company as big as yours, you'd think they'd give better service. Absolutely ridiculous. This is an important Here call. Here is your party, sir. I'm sorry for the delay. Yeah, you should be. Hello, Harry. Yeah, what happened? Who knows? Well, anyway, let's pick it up where we were before. You can't pick it up exactly where you were before, sir. Before, you were talking from San Francisco via Salt Lake, Denver, and Chicago. Now you are talking to New York through Los Angeles, Oklahoma, and St. Louis over one of the alternate circuits which had been previously set up by a telephone company traffic superintendent who knew what a storm could do on the Donner Pass. You were right, Chief. Huh? Look at this morning's map. That polar air that broke through over the plains finally made it across Mexico. It's out in the Pacific now. Uh-huh. Joining up with Mariah. That'll be the death of her. But she'll give us trouble tonight. How's that? That old polar air mass is only a few hundred miles wide, but she's cold and dry below and warm and moist on top. When she hits Mariah, she'll blow her into bits. Cloudbursts, hail and snow, thunder, lightning, damnation. Tonight'll be the night. U.S. Highway 40 was still open, but only because the road superintendent and his crew had pushed the flangers and the rotaries around the clock for nearly 72 hours. And now the snow was thicker than ever, and the superintendent standing at the doorway of the maintenance station garage was tired, bone tired. A heavily pounding truck came up grade from the west. A sedan, its headlights clawing the swirling snow, followed. And a few moments later, another. And then something began to bother the super. Something vague. And then he realized what it was. Wally! You! Let's get out on the road. What's up? She's blocked somewhere down the pass. Nothing's coming through from the east. <laughs> She was blocked, all right. At Windy Point, a big truck and trailer was jackknifed across the road, and the drifts were already piling up. Four cars were lined up grade, their motors running. Idiots. Motors idling, windows closed to keep warm. Wally, tell them to open up before they suffocate. You. I'll take the downgrade side. Anybody hurt here? Nobody hurt but this truck. Never mind the truck. You ran past the chain warnings yourself. If you'd had chains on, you wouldn't be stuck in that drift. Yeah, but look, hey, what am I gonna do? I can't... Hey, anybody in there? Oh, no. Hey, you! Oh, me? Yeah, you! Where are the people from this car? Oh, them! Yeah, what happened to them? Oh, yeah, yeah, old dame and a guy. She was sort of hysterical. She yelled something about we'd all get snowed in and froze like somebody named Donna. Then they start off down the road walking. Hey, you think maybe we ought to start walking like she said, huh? No, you stay where you are. We'll get you out of this. When did they leave? About five minutes ago. And that's long enough. Hey, what's the matter up ahead? Road's blocked. You see a couple of people walking downgrade? Yes, we wonder. You got chains? Sure, I always got chains. I'm from Colorado. Good, then you must know mountains. 
Now listen to me, Jack. I'm the road superintendent here. We aren't going to be able to clear the road for a while. Why don't you swing around while you still can go on back down grade after those two people? Well, now, I don't know. You might save a couple of lives. Why, of course we will. There's a joint down at the bottom of the pass where you can get them some coffee. We'll let you know when the road's clear. Well, sure thing. Uh, glad to help. Thanks a lot. You better get going. One of my rotaries is coming up behind you. I had no idea you got so much snow out yeah, this well, way. Yeah, well, we get enough. Shut the window, Emily, and let's get out of here. Hey, Steve! Hey, Peterson! Give me a lift! Hi, boss! What you doing down here? I'll tell you later. Raise the plow, Steve, and get me up the road as fast as you can. Radio hot as a pistol! Let's go. KRDM4 calling KRDO1. KRDM4 calling KRDO1. KRDO1 standing by for KRDM4. Hank, get this. Fault all eastbound cars at the summit. Phone the boys at the lake to stop all westbound cars at the gates. Contact the highway patrol and tell them there's a block at Windy Point. Get a couple of men off the day shift and send them down with a push plow and flanger. We're going to lose the road if we don't work fast. To lose the road was to lose his honor. But that night as Mariah thrashed across the Sierra and her death rose, the superintendent once more held the road. Once more, the storm gave out before his machines did, or his men. Once more, there would come a time and a storm, he reminded himself, when they might not. San Francisco Weather Bureau, fair today and tomorrow, moderate northwest winds, slightly cooler. You're welcome. The junior meteorologist turned back to his map, filling in reports from land stations across half the world and ships spun out upon the great ocean. But soon he let his eyes wander down the Kuril Islands and across the Sea of Japan, where surely a new wave should be forming, a wave which might develop into another great storm like Mariah. But now, no ship happened to be at the proper location to tell him about it. Tonight, the CBS Radio Workshop has presented Storm by George Stewart, adapted and directed by William N. Robeson, with William Conrad as narrator. Featured in the cast were Helene Burke, Chet Stratton, Herb Butterfield, Byron Kane, Harry Bartell, Tony Barrett, Barney Phillips, Frank Gerstle, and Jack Crucian. Sound patterns by Ray Kemper and Bill James. Original music for tonight's program was composed and conducted by Jerry Goldsmith. The workshop is produced by William Frug. Transcribed. America listens most to the CBS radio network. Escape Gunsmoke X minus. Enter. Countdown for blast off. X minus five. 
four, three, two, X minus one, fire. From the far horizons of the unknown come tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future. Adventures in which you'll live in a million could be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company presents X minus one. A Wind is Rising by Finn O'Donovan. But first, hear this. And now, how's about discussing a few interesting facts about your United States government? Did you know that it is actually possible to become President of the United States without being elected to that office? That's not as difficult as it sounds. All you have to do is hold down a special job in Congress or be a member of the president's cabinet. Of course, you also have to meet the other presidential qualifications of age, birth, and residence. The law which determines the order of presidential succession specifies that the vice president shall assume the presidency in the event the president dies. Next in order is the Speaker of the House, followed by the President Pro Tem of the Senate. Then, if for any reason these men are not available, the cabinet members are set up in line to take over the White House duties. First is the Secretary of State, followed by the Secretaries of the Treasury and Defense. Then come the Attorney General, the Postmaster General, and so on down the line through the Secretaries of the Interior, Agriculture, Commerce, and Labor. After the list of cabinet members is exhausted, it would be necessary to have an election. Up to the present time, however, the presidential succession has never gone past the office of vice president. But you might find it interesting to learn how this phase of your United States government works. <laughs> Minus one, and a wind is rising. I'd only been on Corella for eight months. Not long for a seasoned advanced exploration man like myself, but long enough to know one thing. Before long, I was going to kill me a native Corellan. Maybe I was a little edgy. When you have to live inside a steel and concrete capsule just listening to that fantastic wind howl 24 hours a day, it begins to get you. Anyway, it started when Smanek, he was our Corellan radio man, came up to my quarters to get me. Corellans are a dirty brown and look something like big spiders with five hairy tentacles. Yeah? 
Manic Earthman. Well? Other Earthman. Tell Manic, tell this Earthman. Come pretty quick. Okay. You got lump sugar. What for? Smanek, do something favor. Get lump sugar. No, I don't have sugar. Now beat it. Maybe you got dead meat. Smanek like dead meat. No, no meat. Now get your slimy shape out of Wait. here. Yeah, what's wrong? Come on down with me. Leighton, I don't think it's good to insult these Corellans. They have no feelings, you know that. They have no emotional nervous setup. Just the same, I don't think it's good. For who? For you. When you insult somebody by your own standards, you hurt yourself. Even if the object of your insult is a dead thing. Now look, Nereshev, I'm an advanced exploration expert. You're an anthropologist. You stick to your stuff and I'll stick to mine. Sorry. Now what's the fuss about? The water faucet. What about it? It isn't running. What? I pounded it and put a probe in. It must be blocked out at the storage tank. How could it be blocked out there? I don't know. Maybe the wind rolled a boulder at it. Yeah. More likely one of those spiders like Smanek was fiddling with it. The natives have been told not to tamper with the water line. They don't like us. They might. I thought you said they were incapable of feeling like or dislike or any emotion. I did. I know they can't feel, but... Still, somehow I get the sensation that they resent us. I'm glad we've only got one of them inside the station. Regardless of that, we can't live with our water supply cut off. Oh, listen to that wind. It'll be murder out there. I'll go. It's my turn. You wouldn't know what to do if you got there. It seems quite simple. Well, come to think of it, it could be a two-man job if there's a boulder. The wind gauge reads 82 miles an hour. <laughs> Just a light breeze on Corella. Maybe we ought to wait till it drops a little. Let's ask the gink. Why don't we take him along? The gink? He knows the terrain, and like all his kind, he's a fantastic sailor. But they take those woven land boats out in 100-mile winds with no qualms at all. The brute weighs 14 tons, and it has a diesel engine. We don't need any sailors. If we have to use a steadying sail, I can handle it as well as any Spider-Man. Just a suggestion. You stick to anthropology. Open the locks, and we'll get the brute out. I'll need Smonik to close the locks after us. Smonik! It's man call. Clayton and I are going out in the heavy land car. What's the weather going to be like? Wind come up along little more. Not anything to be afraid. You got sugar? No. Here you are, Spunnick. Very good sailing today. You got sail on truck. We have a steadying sail made of steel. Woven reeds. More better. A more easy time. We know all about that. Open the lock, Nereshev. The brute, as we called it, was armored like a tank and streamlined. It had vision slits of shatterproof glass, and most of its 14 tons were centered near the ground. It was sealed from dust and had six giant tires made of woven steel mesh. It was built to take the rocky terrain of the planet Corella and to navigate in the gale force winds that battered the planet. I strapped myself into the cockpit, and we were ready. The wind indicator told me that the winds had risen to 94 miles an hour and rising. I looked out over the instrument panel. 
The Corella station had been set down like an overturned bowl on a rocky plain. In order to get to the water storage tank, we had to travel six miles. Immediately around the station were our boulder baffles, huge spikes of concrete designed to stop the boulders that the wind rolled off the mountains. I shoved the brute into gear, and we were on our way. Hang on, Nereshev. Here we go. The wind is up to 97. Do you suppose we're in for a storm? The gink said it was fine sailing weather. For a Corellan, maybe. Well, this baby can take it. You see the pipeline yet? The sand is pretty thick in the vision glass. There it is. About two points on the starboard bow. I see it now. What's our speed? Three miles an hour. Give us a little more oxygen in here. All right. Hey, there's something coming toward us. Looks like a boulder. Hard right. That was no boulder. That was one of those ginks out for a sail in his land ship. Playful, aren't they? Next one scares us like that, I'll shoot him, so help me. I don't understand how they can sail those flimsy ships on those wooden rollers. What's our wind speed now? 102 miles an hour. I think it's going to be a storm, Clay. Well, there's no point in turning back now. We can't live without water. I'm game if you are. What's the strongest storm we've ever recorded? Well, let's see. In the eight months we've been here, about 168 miles an hour. Well, this baby was built to navigate up to 200. We'll be all right. two storms on Corella since Earthmen had been there. The first one had almost wiped out the station. That's why the boulder traps were built. The second one had leveled an entire mountain range on the other end of the plain. By the time we reached the water storage tanks, the wind was up to 113 miles an hour. Well, this is it. One of us has got to put on an air suit and repair the damage. Means blowing out the line. It's my turn. <laughs> what do you know about mechanical things? I'll go out. Fasten that nylon rope to me and winch it as I go along. I'll anchor the brute in the lee of the concrete breaker. Maybe you ought to wait till the wind dies down. It isn't dying down, it's rising. We can radio Smanic at the station, get a report. <laughs> you think you'll give us a straight answer? I trust you. Hello, Smanic. This is Nereshev calling Smanic. This Smanic, Earthman. How long is this wind going to keep up? Long time. Maybe even longer. More than two hours? Yes. Okay. Clayton is going out to fix the pipe. We'll be back in an hour if everything holds. Okay. Well, I'm ready. Lock my helmet. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Open the chamber. Here I go. Outside, the wind thundered and roared like breaking surf. Once I was almost blown free, but the line held. By the time I crawled back into the ship, I'd cleared the water lines, but my suit was shredded and my air extractor was clogged with dust. The wind was up to 145 miles an hour and still rising. You all right? Yeah. All right, let's get this thing going. It's starting to shiver in the wind. All right. 
What's wrong? I can't start the engine. Here, let me try. Sand. Sand in the bearings, in the injectors, every place. She'll never start. Good grief. Well, we'll have to sail her back. What? I said we'll have to sail her back. At wind speeds like this? It'll be like sailing a little dinghy across the Atlantic in a gale. Well, what else can we do? We'll put out the auxiliary anchor and ride it out. Oh, no, no. One good boulder and we'd be goners. Come on, raise the sail. Okay. Release anchors. Hang on. Here we go. We raised the steel sail and tacked into the wind. Shoved by a wind that had now reached 175 miles an hour... The 14-ton brute soon picked up to a speed of 40 miles an hour. Even reefed down and heeled over, I couldn't hold her. And I had to winch out the steel main sheet to straighten her up. Then it began to happen. The thing we feared the most. What's that? The wind is tossing rocks at us. Oh. Well, as long as we're not capsized, we'll be okay. She's healing at 45 now. It's no problem. So rock smashed the visor. Put on your oxygen mask. Wait. Man, she's boiling along now. 75 miles an hour. Clay, there's a boulder coming. Down the mountain. I can't head her up. Get off. No use on it. The Johnny. You can't. Hang on. Wait, misters. That boulder's as big as a city block. You're headed for the cliffs. Winch in the sheet again. We'll head up toward the station. Well, it's no use. I can't head her up. We'll have to run with the wind. You can't run far. The cliffs are dead ahead. Let's drag the emergency anchor. Maybe it'll slow us down. Suppose it falls. Worry about it later. Drag it. That's better. I may even be able to head her up now. Those cliffs. Holy smoke. Look at that. Doesn't Corellan land ships sailing toward the station like it was a fine afternoon? They usually keep away from the station. There's no time to worry now. Watch in the sheet. I'm going to head up higher. What was that? Boulder. Snap the mast off. Holy mother. We're being blown toward the cliffs. Is that land anchor out? Yes. Oh, pray it'll foul and hold us. Pray. Oh, Father, what? We're fouled. Yeah. And it's holding. Now if it'll just bite in. I think we're anchored. But listen to those boulders. We won't last ten minutes anchored here. Move over. Why? I'm going to try the diesel again. I don't know. Maybe it's a long shot, but maybe. It's caught. It's caught. Come on, baby. Start. Start. She's running. She's running. All right, let's go to that anchor. Warm up that coffee, Smatic. We're coming in. (laughs) 
Somehow the engine coughed and spit us back to the station. The boulder defense was completely flattened. And one side of the capsule was dented by a huge rock. But otherwise it was still holding. The winds were up to 212 miles an hour at the time. A dozen Corellan land ships were moored by their long vines on the lee side of the station. And more ships were coming in every minute. We slid into the tube and entered the capsule. Welcome, Earthmen. You have nice sail. Shut up, you crummy gink. Earthmen not pleased. You told us the weather would hold. Old Corellan saying, one can predict weather, but not do something about it. Very true. We almost died out there. You wouldn't have been planning anything like that, would you? Manic, no understand. No? Well, do you understand this? Now, get out of here. Get out before I blow your ugly head off with this gun. Very difficult for Smanek to be without head. Impossible to eat sugar or dead meat for almost three weeks before new head grow. Smanek, join his people now for summer festival. Now, you do that. Pronto. Wait a minute, Smanek. Did you say summer festival? Oh, yes. Ancient Karelian festival. When summer ends, we go sail away to caverns in far west. Caverns? Yes. We live in caverns for three months. In that way, we have safety. Safety? From what? From winds. After summer is over, come winter storms. First storm of year about to start any moment now. About to start? What do you call what we've been having, the... The wind is 238 miles an hour right now. The brute's ruined, the boulder defense is leveled, the foundations are cracked. Very regrettable. Perhaps you like to come stay with us in caverns. Bring sugar. Impossible. We need oxygen, food, our own water. Very regrettable indeed. Well, maybe you don't stay and colonize our planet after all. Yes, really big wind starting to rise now. Smanak, go. Goodbye, Smanak. Thanks for your help. Smanak, do favor. Glad to help. You got sugar... have just heard X-1, presented by the National Broadcasting Company, X-1 has brought you A Wind is Rising, a story written by Finn O'Donovan and adapted for radio by George Lefferts. Featured in our cast were Les Damon as Clayton, Bert Cowlin as Nereshev, and William Griffiths as Smanik. This is Fred Collins. X-1 was directed by George Boutsas and is an NBC Radio Network production. We pause now for station identification.
Gunsmoke 53 document. Walton Hughes Master G. Glenn Miller Museum. Enter. Hi, everybody. I'm Walton Hughes, and on the line are two people with me today to talk about the Glenn Miller Museum. And Sherry and Marvin, welcome to our show. Well, thank you. We were glad to be on. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Well, first of all, ladies first, Sherry, you want to give me your title and maybe give a, a little bit of the background, the location, where can people come, to, when they come to Iowa, where can they find you guys? Okay, um, I'm the executive director of the Glenn Miller uh, Museum and Birthplace Home, and we are in Clorinda, Iowa, and we're a small town of about 5,000 people. We are located at 122 West Clark Street, which is really, there's a main street through here, 16th Street or Glenn Miller Avenue. And uh, we sit pretty much right in the middle of town, and there's a birthplace home on the east side of the property, and the museum is just to the west of it. And where are you in, in Iowa? Are you in the central part of the state, northern part of the state? Give me a, a geographic location. Southwest. We're about an hour and a half south of Omaha. Okay. And an hour and a half north of Kansas City, or a couple hours north of Kansas City. So that'd be the easiest way, folks. Last time I was in Iowa, he either go to Kansas City or come into Omaha. It'd be the best way to come yes, see you yes. guys. And Marvin, how do you, you give me a little background of you? How did you become president of the uh, Glenn Miller Associate Society? Well, it's been a long time ago. So. <laughs> Uh, 1985, I think I became president, and I, before that, I had just uh, worked with uh, local people, you know, uh, helping with the festival and so on. And then, uh, since then, uh, the festival's just gradually gotten bigger and bigger, and um, um, it's just been uh, uh, really uh, nice thing uh, to do. And uh, we met a lot of good people, and so we. Uh, just enjoy what we're doing. Well, let's talk about the festival first. When typically is the festival? When and how many days? Give, give me a, a, an idea about the festival. Well, uh, next year will be our 43rd annual Miller Festival. Uh, we started in 1976, so quite a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, the uh, the dates next year are June uh, 6, 7, 8, and 9. Excuse me, I seven, said seven, seven eight, eight, nine, and ten. And ten. <laughs> so uh, it's a four-day festival, and um, we actually, the festival starts off with a scholarship competition, and we have uh, high school seniors and uh, college freshmen from all over the United States. They send in samples of their music, and uh, we select uh, Ten instrumentalists and ten vocalists, and they come in and on the first day of the festival they compete for twelve thousand dollars in prizes. Wow! So um, this last year was um, kind of a uh, a new uh, event for us because we had um, one student come from uh, Ontario, Ontario, Canada, mm -hmm. and um, so it's become a national event, and uh, so we have. Not just people from uh, all over the United States, but now we're starting to get a few from other countries. When the people, the kids submit, are they contemporary music, or are we asking them to do it in the in the Miller mood, or how, what kind of what kind of uh, requirements are there for for? I can't remember 
how it reads, but it pretty much there they can do about whatever they want to do. They don't have to they don't have to play a trombone and they don't have to play Glenn Miller's songs and get all different kinds of instruments. So you can imagine um, if it's a harp or something like that, it in the mood might not sound so great, you know. But uh, but anyway, they they play whatever they want to play, and uh, we get some uh, really fine, you know. Uh, vocalists and instrumentalists uh, from around the country. And how can the kids sign up? Are there a, a website devoted to that? What, is there a process for kids to submit their music to you guys? Yeah, on our website, um, www.glennmiller.org, and there's two ends in Miller, Glenn, of course, um, there's a scholarship page, and there's an application on there that talks about, you know, their general geography and what grade they're in and that kind of stuff. And then they submit their audition CD or their um, thumb drive, the electronic media anymore. Yeah. And also they submit a, um, a short article on what they're playing, the significance of it, um, and a little bit about how they got into music. Okay. So that is on the website. They can always call the museum here, and that number is 712 542-2461, and we can send them out some information. We've also mailed out to several, lots of high schools, the scholarship program information, as well as put it on several of the national websites that we've seen around that you can enter your scholarship information. So the information is out there. Um, they can get it from the website, and they can get it from the museum. Are there a cutoff point when they have to have it, have it in by to you guys? Yes, March 1st, they need to have everything in, and then we have music experts that narrow them down to 10 vocalists and 10 instrumentalists, as Marvin said. Right on Glenn Miller's birthday, March 1st. That's, that's pretty appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> that. Um, so, what, so what day two and three is like at the festival? Well, we have, of course, lots of bands. Um, we usually like to start off with the um, military band, and uh, we can't always do that. You know, the military bands have been cut back a little bit in, in what they can do, but uh, uh, we like to do that, and um, we usually do this on an outdoor concert on the town square. And um, so um, if it works out, we've invited the Shades of Blue from Scott Air Force Base to come back again, and so um, we're hopeful that they'll be able to make it. And then... Um, we have some really outstanding uh, people coming this year. The One of the unusual things, we've had um, a band from Tamina, Japan, uh, come here. I think this will be about their 13th or 14th trip from halfway around the world to perform at the festival. And this band is an all-girl band, and they're one of the top high school bands in the world. And uh, so we are, we are really lucky. In fact, just... just Hearing this one band is uh, is just uh, kind of makes up for the entire festival. They did, they're so good, uh -huh. and uh, so we have um, a lot of others coming as well. And um, another person I think that um, people will really enjoy is um, uh, I think of his name here, Adam Swanson. He is um, has been uh, uh, four times. He's won, been the world champion of ragtime piano playing. He is, he is just absolutely amazing what he can do. And so he's going to be here on uh, 
Saturday the 9th, I believe it is. And uh, so uh, he puts on a wonderful concert, and it's just uh, really something great to hear. And so then um, we have other bands. Uh, we have uh, Bill Baker's big band is um, a band from Holland that's been here, I think, a couple times before. And they're planning to, to be here at the um, festival next year. And uh, the, um, uh, we don't have the final, I um, um, can't think of the words I want, but anyway, we don't have the final, uh, but we hope to have um, the Canadian brass here from, um, from uh, Canada. So... Um, that will be great. And then every year we have the Glenn Miller Orchestra. Uh, they're going to be playing a concert on uh, Friday evening, and then they're going to play the dance um, on Saturday evening. So uh, we just have lots of good music. And um, we also put together a, a band, the Glenn Miller Band, of uh, band directors in our area and other uh, people are from you know around the Midwest that like to play in a band and they come in and play one well they have one rehearsal and then they play a concert on Friday and it's pretty amazing how, how well they do so is it is it open seating is it um, free to admission fee to attend the festival how, uh, how do you people arrange the, to get in well, each of the concerts, we do have ticket sales, you know, a, a schedule which will be published as soon as we put the final touches on everything, and ticket sales. Uh, we do have some free events like the outdoor concert uh, down on the square will be free. I believe there's going to be another outdoor concert on Sunday evening that will be free. Um, and depending on the bands and the cost, there, you know, they, folks buy tickets mm -hmm. and uh, it is uh, in the auditorium, you know, there's not reserved seating. There are or in the gymnasium, but once you buy your ticket, you know, you're in. Um, I would recommend is that people purchase tickets, look at the website, do that early this year, just because of the sheer numbers of the bands we have coming from all over. Is it at a school? Is it at the uh, gym and yes. auditorium? Or? Yes, it's at, it's at the high school, and the uh, Clorinda High School, and the outdoor concerts would be down on the town square. And do the community get involved, like, you know, uh, to help the volunteer groups? I'm taking at the lines out. Do they do you have we have sell merchandise and things like that to help, you know? We have an amazing uh, volunteer group in Clorinda that are passionate not only about their town, but Glenn Miller and the events that come here. They open up their homes, and they homestay the Tamina girls. They probably will homestay Bill Baker from the Netherlands. Um, you know, they get them around, they make sure they're fed, they attend the events. Um, we couldn't ask for a better group. Then we have a group of volunteers that work in the museum or the birth home. They help sell merchandise, they set up decorations, um, help with the catering. It, you know, it's all, it's 99% volunteers, yeah. and it's amazing. What about people from out here? Are there bed and breakfast? Are there a hotel? Can people stay in town? Yeah. We have a Super 8 here in town that's about 40 rooms, and then we have a Celebrity Inn that's just about the same. Mm -hmm. But what we've done is we have secured blocks of rooms in the small towns around us, 20, 30 miles around us where people can stay. We've also had a lot of guests call somebody that they've known from the festival for 10 years and say, hey, can I sleep on your couch? <laughs> you know, um, we, we manage to get the people that want to stay places to stay. 
so the best thing to do is call the museum is that the best way if somebody said hey I, I what's the best place for me to stay would it be easiest to contact you guys or through the website they sure can and when I get the schedule up on the website the list of hotels where we have blocks of rooms will be there too mm -hmm. but they sure call the museum you know when you're out of town you don't know what you're looking for and when you hear Shenandoah, Iowa you don't realize that it's 15 minutes down the road so you know we offer that help the birthplace first. Was it always at this location? Was it moved? Tell me about Glenn's birthplace. Okay, it's, it's always been in this location. It's been there for over a hundred years. Mm -hmm. um, it was, um, the Millers lived there, you know, in uh, 1904 when Glenn was born. And uh, the, um, after, you know, they, they finally moved on west. Um, after a few years, and uh, the uh, the house was uh, purchased by uh, a local family, and it had been privately owned up until about uh, 1989, I believe it was, and uh, and uh, John Johnny Miller, Glenn's daughter, was able to purchase it, and so then we uh, restored it to its original shape. And uh, we've uh, had people now come, you know, from all over the world to, to visit Glenn Miller's birthplace. So it's been a good attraction. Give me an idea. Is it uh, one story, two story? Give me a, give me sort of a, are there things on display from the Miller family? What, what, what is the birthplace like? Okay, it, uh, it's a small uh, two-story home. And uh, the Millers, you know, at that time, they, they, um, we're a fairly poor family. They didn't have a lot of, you know, a lot of money and things like that. So uh, it was a small house, and um, it's uh, it's just fun to see it. It's not. It's a nice-looking building. It's it's not really or fancy, but it's just fun to be able to come to the, the place where Glenn Miller was born. Ah, so it's 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 the it's the furniture replica of 1904 inside. The house too. Yes, well, they you know. Uh, being a poor family, you know, they didn't have fancy furniture, so the original furniture probably is long gone. You know, yeah. uh, who knows what it would be, but but yes, it's, we tried to furnish it, you know, with uh, things that would have been in the home in 1904, and um, we actually have um, all some of the things that belong to Glenn Miller are shown there, but most most of the things are shown in the museum now that we have a new museum since, uh, uh, I guess it was 19, uh, it's 2010 that we opened the museum. So was, was the museum a long time dream for the society? Tell me how did the museum come about? Well, definitely. <laughs> it was, uh, we wanted to have a museum uh, for, for a long time. We I think we we tried uh, three different times. The first two, first two times that we tried, uh, we we weren't able to complete it. We we did the best we could, and we just could not raise enough money to do it. And then finally, they say the third third time is charm. So we tried the third time, and we were very successful, and we raised uh, around a million dollars for just uh, wow. the building itself. And uh, so we. Uh, we had a lot of good people working on it, and um, we're lucky to have um, now a really, really nice museum in, the, in our community. 
So talk to me about the museum. Is it how big is it? And you have different exhibits in th throughout the building. Is there admissions charge? Walk me through the museum a little bit, Sherry. Well, the museum, um, yes, there is a charge. It's five dollars for seniors and six dollars for adults. Four dollars for kids. Um, the museum has a. In the middle of the museum is a special exhibit that changes every year. The rest of the museum is dedicated to Glenn's life and, and, the, the, and the Miller family, and that doesn't change. The museum exhibit this year is Chattanooga Choo Choo, as it is the 75th anniversary of the first gold record ever awarded to Glenn Miller for Chattanooga Choo Choo. He sold 1.2 million copies. So that exhibit that sits in the middle changes yearly. This next year it will be the 75th anniversary of Glenn's Army Air Force Band. So that, that one's changing. Um, the rest of the museum is, like I said, it's, it's just the story of Glenn's life. And we have a theater room where we show, uh, there's a PBS documentary that we show. Mm -hmm. There's another room that's got some of the Miller, um, it's got some china and some awards in there that we keep here, you know, under, under glass. Right. And it's just, it's a, it's a very, it, it's an amazing building to be in. There's so much history and the people of Clorinda are so proud of it. You know, I just had today a family come in and they had relatives from out of town and they're like, oh, you got to go see the Glenn Miller Museum. And these folks were from upper Wisconsin, hadn't heard about it, didn't know anything about it, walked in and were totally in awe because they're thinking, okay, we're going to go see a couple of Glenn Miller records. And that's, that's just not the case. Are there a gift shop? Can people buy things to support the museum? Sorry, there is a gift shop, and we, we do our best to have, uh, we've got a lot of books on Glenn Miller and his life by people that knew him and played with him. We've got, of course, sweatshirts, T-shirts, um, gosh, what else is in there? Um, every year, you know, we have a new festival logo, and so this year we have some of the festival T-shirts left. Coffee mugs, um, just uh, magnets, ball caps, jackets, all, all that kind of memorabilia. We have a huge selection of DVDs and CDs for music lovers, you know, a couple of the movies. Um, just a lot of memorabilia. Are there a way for people to donate strictly throughout the area and probably won't be able to get to the museum in a year or two? Can they become a member? Are there anything like that, an online membership? Yep. On our website, talking about the merchandise, there is a merchandise tab with an order form on there that shows what we have. Then underneath the member information, there is the um, membership form, and they can fill that out. A lot of folks, you know, they're not comfortable putting a credit card on something and mailing it, so they, they just call, and we sign them up for whatever type of membership they'd like. Um, that entitles them to some preferred uh, ticket sales, reduced events at the festival, um, they get our quarterly newsletter which keeps everybody up to date on what's going on with Glenn Miller and the folks that we have coming in and out and um, it's just it, it's a neat little program and it keeps you in touch with if you're a Glenn Miller fan or big band fan you're passionate about that music that membership keeps you in touch with what's going on here and what events we have. Um, what about you guys? Is it, it busy season the summer for, for visitors or talk about your your schedule. Do you have things you try to reach out to the schools yet, or anything like that, or uh, be, you know, we have mm -hmm. um, we a couple kids uh, 
field trips come through here last year, but this year we just I just sent some mailings out and talked to some superintendents. We're going to have a Clorinda Cultural Field Trip Day where the school's 60-mile radius can come down and visit the Glenn Miller Museum. They can visit our art museum. They can visit Nottoway Valley Museum, have lunch at the Lead Library in an outdoor space, and then head back to their school. And seem to we're starting to get a lot of response for that. It gives them a little bit of music, history, culture, you know, kind of a fun thing that kids can get out of the school, um, visit things, you know, in, in their area. Um, Christmas time, we do some Christmas-type programs. We're involved in some of the Chamber of Commerce um, events that they put on at Christmas down on the square and just, you know, trying to show that community support and make sure that the museum, people know that we're here. Um, we're open from Tuesday through Sunday from 1 to 5. And, you know, summer, of course, is our busiest time. We'll get into winter, Iowa winters in November and December, and, you know, we don't even want to come out, so we know our guests. <laughs> so we may cut back one to four, but we have phone numbers on the door. If we're not here, you know, I spent all weekend, we were closed for Labor Day, and I spent all weekend coming up, you know, back and forth. I live here in town. Yeah. Somebody from Ohio came, and they just, they, they loved to see it, and somebody brought their father from Illinois, and, you know, he didn't have that many more years left, so we opened up the museum. We just want to make sure that we're here when Glenn Miller music lovers want to see what we have to offer. Tell me about Corinda. Is it still a small old town? Do you still have a main street? What, what's, the, what's the town like today compared to when Glenn Miller was born? Is it pretty much the same layout? Well, as you can imagine, you know, he was born in 1904, so a lot of things have changed, but um, it's still, um, you know, about... We don't have, uh, I'm sure we have a few more people than they did back in 1904, but it still has a small town appeal, and I think people really enjoy coming here from, not just from the U.S., but from other countries. They, they really enjoy the town. It, it really is a nice town, and we have a lot, a lot of things to brag about, I think, in Florida. Not only, you know, uh, Glenn Miller being born here, but uh, Johnny Carson actually lived here for a year or two, a long time ago, and um, some other some other famous people. So we're a town of about 5,000 people, and uh, it's just a, it's just a great town to come and visit. Oh gosh, any Glenmore children still with us? I saw I think the daughter at a concert about 10, 15 years ago. Any any Glen two kids still with us, or or are we down to grandchildren? What what's the family? Hey. They had uh, a son and a daughter. The, the son passed away probably a couple years ago, and um, his daughter, Johnny D., uh, she lives in California, and she, she was here at the um, uh, festival this year, and she's already ordered tickets for the festival next year. So um, it's, it's always fun to, to have uh, some of the original family members come to the festival and, um, you know, visit with them. So... It, it's a it's a great town and um, it's a good place to come visit. Is Ray Anthony the only living member left from the Bill Miller band? I I can't think of anybody else. I, am I right, Marvin? You know. Well, I've kind of lost track. I, I the last time, I think uh, one of the Miller experts is Ed Pulich, who uh, he's probably there's no question he's the world's expert on Glenn Miller. And I think we had a list of about maybe 10 people, this is maybe two or three years ago, that were still alive, 
but um, that number is, is getting uh, shorter and shorter, and I, um, it may be down, you know, just to one or two now. Uh, so there's not many of them left. For the people, the, the Glen Miller Orchestra is still one of the most busiest ghost bands in the, in the world. I think it still does 300 dates a year. It's just, yes. it's just amazing. Yeah, they're, they're very active, and uh, they're, they're doing a really a great job. I think they're a good credit to Glenn Miller and his music because they, uh, people, people love them all around the world. And, you know, the neat thing about having them here at every festival is they really have become friends of the people that live in Clorinda, the people that visit. I mean, they know their names. They dedicate songs to them. Um, it, it, it's a very special, unique relationship. Are there, are there any uh, pancake things in, out in the park? Do, are there, do the community does anything for besides the, the two outdoor concerts? Can people buy food or anything at the park? Anything, you know? Well, we have for a number of years. We've had a big band breakfast on Saturday, so uh, you can start listening to Glenn Miller music. It's 7 a.m. in the morning, and Fire you, station. <laughs> yeah, and you can you can listen to concerts. You know, all day and up until about 11 o'clock at night. So it's, it's a day just full of um, high-class music, and uh, it's just a really fun day. We have food up at the high school, folks that don't want to leave, but all of our restaurants open up. Uh, they stay late. They have specials. They're just really geared up to um, make it really inviting for the guests to come to town. Was there one person that came up with the idea of the festival in 43, or was that sort of a community effort? How did the idea come about? Well, actually, it started, you know, in uh, 1976. And we started out as a, a committee of the Chamber of Commerce. And uh, it was just a small committee, and it, it went that way for about almost 10 years, I believe. And then... Uh, we we had a membership and uh, became the membership became sort of international, and so uh, the executive director of the chamber of commerce decided that we she felt that we should be you know incorporated as our own uh, corporation. So we we changed then and uh, we weren't connected with the chamber of commerce anymore, other other than they support us a lot. But uh, we started our own Glen Miller Birthplace Society, and um, we've continued ever since, you know, on our own. And do you guys have separate fundraising events for the festival? Is the festival separate, technically, from the museum, or is it all under the same umbrella? How do you, you know, I, I, I imagine it's an interesting process to make it all work together. It's under the umbrella of, of the society. Mm -hmm. You know, we... We solicit grants anytime we can, grant paperwork for the festival and the things that you may need here at the museum. Um, we also have an amazing amount of sponsorships from our community. Um, they know, you know, that it, that it happens every year. We know the kind of money that's brought into our town in both revenue and tax dollars. And the, and the community supports that. And we get a lot of through memberships, we get extra donations for the festival, and through sponsorships, business-wise, we get funds for that too. And then our ticket sales help pay for the festival as well. 
What about donation of Gwen Miller's memorabilia? If somebody has some of Gwen artifacts or anything, can they contact you guys and donate it directly to the museum? Well, it could, it could be. You know, a lot of things, you know, that, um, you know, things like records and things like that, we, we have a lot of those already. Right. Um, some of the original things, uh, I can tell you what we have. We have uh, one of Glenn's trombones that he used uh, in the Army Air Force Band, and we have the, the Cafe Rouge bandstands that Glenn used in the Hotel Pennsylvania in New York City. And um, we have some family items, um, furniture items that they had later on when, when Glenn was, you know, uh, quite successful. And so we have, um, we have a drum set that belonged to Mer- Mo Pertle. Uh-huh. So uh, we have, a, we have a, lot of, a lot of different things that, um, you know, were, were used by Glenn or, or by people in the band. We get probably twice a week phone calls from folks who have lost one of their parents and their collection of books or memorabilia or records, which is so precious to their, to their father or mother, and they don't know what to do with them, and they want to send them to us. And, you know, we, we hang on to those. A lot of us pick up those books and read them. We haven't seen them before. I just don't have the heart to tell somebody that, you know, no, we don't want those. Um, we, we display a lot of the things that we don't have, you know, it's hard to rotate as much donations as far as books, records, and so forth that we get, but we sure try and take them if people, you know, they were cherished items to one of their loved ones, so we want to treat them as such. Sure, but I, I would think if you had, somebody had maybe a autograph sheet music from Glenn or, uh, or some, some yeah. band arrangements or some photograph that was just, you know, really, that you guys haven't seen before, you guys would be interested in those types of yeah, items. Yeah, you know. Things like that, you, you never know when they're going to turn up. I know we had uh, uh, maybe a couple of years ago a person who had a menu from the Cafe Rouge, and it had been signed by uh, the majority of the band members and Glenn, and so they sent that to us. So, yeah, things like that are, are unique, and, and we really love to get those kinds of things. Oh, my gosh. Anything else we, we might have missed before I let you guys have the rest of your evening? <laughs> well, I don't know. It's just uh, it's a fun festival. I I think Glenn Miller fans are uh, probably the best fans that, that you could ask for because they're they're people who really appreciate good music, and uh, I think they're going to help us, you know, keep uh, the big band era, you know, alive. Uh, and I hope the music of Glenn Miller, because that's uh, a big part of it. Well, if you think about his legacy, have lived another seventy-three years, so I think. It, I think the society and the fans have really have, have preserved good memory yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah, it, it's it's amazing sometimes to to listen to some of the music because it it's uh, it's good jazz music and uh, it's up you know and uh, there's there's all kinds of kinds of songs that they played you know I think I think the band actually played uh, around a thousand different songs you know in their career. And you know they weren't all hits necessarily, but but they played a lot a lot of good music. Yeah, seventy-one top ten hits. Yeah, yep. which is yep. still more than still more than most everybody out there. And and we're blessed to have some of some of those great radio air checks. I mean, I was not too long ago I was playing one the one that Glenn did from the BBC. I mean, they're just wonderful uh, 
broadcast material we have out there. So thank you to the uh, society to preserve all that for us. Right. Well, thank you both for your eat your time. And want to make sure you can you want to give up the website and address and how can people get a hold of you? Sure. It's www.glennmiller.org. And we are at 122 West Clark Street in Clarinda, Iowa, 51632. Our phone here is 712-542-2461. And Marvin, the dates again to the festival, just in case people want to put that on the calendar? Yes, okay. Well, I'll try to get it right this time. But <laughs> anyway, it's June 7, 8, 9, and 10. And it'll be... Uh, well worth their while to come and hear some of these bands because they're, uh, some, some of these acts are the, are the best in the world. Yeah. Well, thank you both. I really appreciate your time today. Thank All you right. Too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Windows M, Desk L, Live Shows folder, Enter, Live Show H, Hit Parade, Enter, Hit, hit Parade 3, 5, Hit, Hit Parade 3, Not Selected, Hit Parade, Hit, hit Parade XXXF0030. Hit parade four four two one zero. Hit parade five nine zero four. Hit parade five three zero one three one. Epsts. Enter. The following program is your hit parade, as originally telecast last Saturday by Lucky Strike. Be happy, go lucky, be happy, go lucky, strike, be happy, go lucky, go lucky, strike today. Lucky Strike presents your hit parade. The top tunes all over America, as determined by your hit parade survey, which checks the best sellers in sheet music and phonograph records. The songs most heard on the air. And the songs most played on the automatic coin machine. An accurate, authentic tabulation of America's taste in popular music. Your Hits Parade. Friends, if you want a cigarette that just naturally tastes better, take my advice and go lucky because lucky strike means fine tobacco. Fine, mild, good-tasting tobacco. And the way that fine tobacco is made into every Lucky is why you get a cleaner, fresher, smoother-tasting smoke. So come on, be happy, go Lucky, and make your next pack Lucky Strike. And now, the Lucky Seven Songs of the Week with Dorothy Collins, Snooky Lanson, June Valley, Russell Arms, the Hit Paraders and Dancers, and Raymond Scott and the Lucky Strike Orchestra. And off we go with survey song number two. June Valley, the Hit Paraders and Dancers light up the musical sky with song number two. Don't let the stars get in your eyes. Someday you'll return and you 
Snooky Lanson is in a melancholy mood as he brings us survey song number three, Keep It a Secret. If you see my darling with somebody new Keep it a secret Whatever you do Why should you tell me And break my poor heart Then foolish pride Would just drive us apart If you see my darling some rendezvous painting the town with a boy she once knew pay no attention just let it be only keep it a secret from me Keep it a secret from me. Lucky Strike Extra, 
the hit parade dancers featuring Lenny Claret and Raymond Scott's arrangement of an American folk classic, Casey Jones. Number seven. Here's Dorothy Collins with a playful ditty that makes its 13th appearance on the survey. Glowworm. Glow, you gotta glow, glow, little glowworm, glow. 
the cute vest pocket Mazda, which you can make both slow or fast. I don't know who you took a shine to or who you're out to make a sign to. I've got a guy. And I got a gal that I love so. Say, Ed, have you ever seen that Lucky Strike demonstration on television? Yeah. Well, come here, I want to show you something. Have you ever done it yourself? No. Okay, then let's start from scratch. They say to use a new pack. Here's a pack of Luckies I just opened. Well, take one, turn it around until you find the seam in the back. See that? Now, carefully tear the paper down the seam. Easy does it. You don't want to dig into that tobacco. That's it. There. You see? A perfect cylinder of tobacco, just like on TV. All right, so it works. So what? Here's what. Because Luckies are made better, they taste better. Cleaner, fresher, smoother. You can see here why Luckies taste cleaner. Every Lucky is a perfect cylinder of fine, mild tobacco. Notice there are no loose ends to get in your mouth and spoil the taste. And now, under Joe's microscope, you'll see why Luckies taste fresher. It's because Luckies are made round, firm, and fully packed to smoke smoothly and evenly. And here's why Luckies taste smoother. See those long strands of Luckies fresh, mild, good-tasting tobacco. You can tell by the rich aroma that Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Tobacco that's bound to give you a smooth, mild taste, puff after puff, pack after pack. By golly, it does that up, doesn't it? Yes, better taste means better smoking. And Lucky's taste better, cleaner, fresher, smoother. So enjoy the better taste of Lucky's fine tobacco in a better made cigarette. Be happy. Go Lucky. Make your next carton Lucky Strike. Number six. Russell Arms brings us a dramatic version of the song that captures sixth place on the survey. Lady of Spain.
pain I'm appealing Why should my lips be concealing song number four. It's a winter romance as Snooky Lanson sings the lovely ballad that's in fourth place, Because You're Mine. Because you're mine The brightest star I see looks down my love and envies me because you're mine because you're mine because you're mine the breeze that hurries by becomes a melody and why because you're mine because you're mine I only know for as long as I may live I'll only live for the kiss that you alone may give me And when we kiss that isn't thunder, dear, it's only my poor heart you hear. And it's applause because you're Number five, June Valley and the Hit Paraders create a nostalgic scene of yesterday to the tune of survey song number five, Till I Waltz Again With You. Till I waltz again with you Let no other hold you all come true You'll be waiting for my arms Till I kiss you once again Keep my love locked in your heart Darling, you'll return and then We will never have to part Oh, it may 
Another Lucky Strike Extra. Dorothy Collins, the hit paraders and dancers, and one of Irving Berlin's most beloved melodies, Cheek to Cheek. Heaven, I'm in heaven, and my heart beats so that I can hardly speak. Seem to find the happiness I seek. When we're out together dancing cheek to cheek. Heaven, I'm in heaven. And the cares that hung around me through the week. Seem to vanish like the gambler's lucky streak. When we're out together dancing cheek to cheek. Oh, I love to climb a mountain. And to reach the highest peak. But it doesn't thrill me half as much as dancing cheek to cheek. And I love to go out fishing in a river or a creek. But I don't enjoy it half as much as dancing cheek to cheek. Dance with me. I want my about you, that charm about you will carry me through to heaven, I'm in heaven, and my heart beats so that I can hardly speak, and I seem to find the happiness I seek, when we're all together dancing cheek to cheek. together dancing. I just love dancing. Right in public we're romancing. I love romancing. When we're I out together dancing. Cheek to cheek. 
friends. It's true, you know. Lucky's are made better to taste better. Cleaner, fresher, smoother. And you remember that the next time you buy cigarettes. It's awfully important, because golly, in a cigarette, it's the taste that makes the difference. And Lucky's do taste cleaner, fresher, smoother. So come on, be happy. Go Lucky, make your next carton Lucky Strike. Be happy, go lucky, get better taste today. Number one, the top tune of the week. The song the survey finds in first place. Once again, this beautiful ballad is acclaimed the favorite of the nation from coast to coast. Snooky Lanson and song number one, Why Don't You Believe Me? It's you I adore Forever and ever Can I promise more? I've told you so often Just isn't fair Here is a heart that is lonely And here is a heart you can take Here is a heart for you only That you can keep or break
Jones. Staged by Tony Charmley. Sets by Paul Barnes. Costumes by Sal Anthony. Technical director, Bob Daniels. Lighting by Bob Davis. Audio by Larry Lawrence. Tune in again next week at the same time when your hit parade will again bring you the lucky seven songs of the week with June Valley, Dorothy Collins, Snooky Lanson, Russell Arms, the hit paraders and dancers, Raymond Scott, and the Lucky Strike Orchestra. This is Andre Barouche saying, be happy, go lucky. Your hit parade has been selected as one of the programs to be shown to our armed forces overseas. Lucky Strike, product of the American Tobacco Company, America's leading manufacturer of cigarettes. The preceding program was Your Hit Parade, as originally telecast last Saturday by Lucky Strike. Your Hit Parade. Well, we're going to take it back to the automation system, and we're going to run the interview we did with Christina Burton Conroy, talk about her ebook that just came out from Amazon of her novel. And so we're going to see what direction that goes. So that will be Sunday. Michael Beale will be with us live. Take us back. Next, next following three uh, appearances, one, it will be uh, in Germany. So that will be interesting to see how it all turns out here in the USA. So we're waiting to take over control of Texas and make sure we got that working right. And we'll have more live guests next weekend. So, with that, may the good Lord Jesus Christ bless you. And this is Yesterday USA. Good morning, everybody. We love you all very, very much. Alt-Tab. Items view multi-select. Alt-Tab. Hit parade. Alt-Tab. Alt-Tab. Document. Alt-Tab. Hit parade. Alt-Tab. Gasman. Alt-Tab. Saturday. Alt-Tab. Saturday. Alt-Tab. Soundforge Pro. Escape. Escape. Enter. Land. It's time to review your privacy settings to get ready for the next update. Documents. Windows M. Desktop M. My documents. Enter. Document. Reds S. Saturday night down. Saturday. Gunsmoke. Enter. X minus 1571003. Sound 4.0. 11.0. Escape. Enter. 1.82. Land. It's time seconds. All tab. Documents. Windows M. Desktop M. All tab. Sound 1 star. Sound 4. Escape. Enter. Enter. Menu 5. A. Save as dialogue. Sound 1. Edit. S A T U R D A Y N I G A T 9 dash 9 dash 1 7 S E C O N D P C I T 8 P A T R I C I A com J O H N A N D L A R R Y R U N N I N G G L E N N M I L L E R 
M U S E U M. Save list. Save but enter. Data window. Welcome to Skype. Press JAWS key plus H for Alt tab. Send image button tab. Send file tab. Send video Alt tab. Sound Forge Pro 